At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hey, warm up, brother, hello. Welcome to Lumpy Las Vegas for Coast to Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Hoops Peterson, now part of the Beast and Family Podcast. We've got a great podcast for you. Joining me in segment number two, it is Mr. Blake Lovell. He does tremendous work over at Southeastern 14, and he's going to be joining me to give a little bit of thoughts as to what we all saw in the SEC versus ACC challenge from a little bit more of an SEC lens. We'll be diving in as to some of the surprise teams in the conference thus far. We certainly need to talk about what we've seen out of Kentucky this year. That has been absolutely tremendous with the way that they've cranked it up tempo. We'll talk about if that is going to be sustainable moving forward for them. And we're going to take a look at some games that we want to watch for this weekend with regards to the SEC as well, especially that Ole Miss versus Memphis game. So getting a nice SEC roundup in segment number two in the final segment. Good to get you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Friday as we hit some bank shots. If you have a question, comment, segment, idea, what have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter slash X timeline at unit underscore D1. Keep in mind letters CM. Maybe it does not matter. As per usual, please do send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated from there. You're able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. Did not get in any Twitter slash X questions today. Dove into a few yesterday, so always happy to answer those and always happy to enlighten you guys a little bit. If there's something that you don't understand, please do not be a stranger. If I haven't answered it already on the podcast, I'll answer for you. If I have already answered it on the podcast, well, I will refer you to when I did answer it on the podcast. So we've got you guys all covered there. And let's take a look back at everything that we saw late Wednesday into Thursday in college basketball. Since the Greg Peterson experience, that is from midnight to 3 Eastern time, I do have to do these recaps more around about 10 o'clock p.m. Eastern time and had some interesting basketball towards back half of Wednesday and into Thursday. So let's recap it, try to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. A game from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. In terms of a late Pac-12 game, you did see USC completely house Eastern Washington 106-78 big time statement from USC. 
They go 12 of 24 from three, and it's not easy to win by 28 points against a team that shoots 13 of 34 from three, like Easter Washington did. Jake Kaiman, who he began his career at UCLA, actually had 26 big points for Eastern Washington, but man, Boogie Ellis. 8 of 10 from three-point range. Vincent Iwuchuku off the bench. He was able to log 13 points himself. Just an absolutely tremendous showing there. And then you did see with regards to our DK network right up. That got through with Arkansas controlling that game against Duke. I was doing this podcast as the first half had just wrapped up with Arkansas leading by a point and they came through 80-75. to Duke actually did make a nice effort towards the back half of the game, but it was K-Leaf battle with his 21 points, 5 boards, 5 assists. That really won the day for Arkansas. Duke, to their credit, they actually won the turnover battle by kind of 12 to 8. But for Arkansas, they do a good job on the boards. Trayvon Brazil, one of the more underrated players in college basketball, 19 points at 11 boards. And Chandler Lawson, how about six blocks and eight rebounds? Only scored seven points, but this Arkansas team got after it down low. And Kyle Filipowski, he still got his with 26 points, 10 rebounds. But Arkansas, how about 10 block shots for them to be able to get that one through? And then you did see Georgia be able to go on the road. They knock off Florida State 68-66. to We'll certainly dive into more of the SEC results from the SEC Big 12 Challenge, including Auburn getting the job done against Virginia Tech as well. But for Georgia, they were down big in this game. They were only down four at the half, but Florida State had about a 17-point lead with less than eight minutes remaining. It looked like they were just going to be able to take this game, run with it. For Florida State, I believe that they were up by 13 points with about five and a half minutes remaining. And then for Georgia, they claw all the way back. For Georgia, it was all about what you were able to get out of the young freshman in Silas Demery Jr., he comes up with 15 big points in this game. He was scoring a lot late. For Florida State, they did have Darren Green working 21 points. He had one four of eight from three-point range. And for Florida State, they actually win the turnover battle. They win the rebound battle. But for Georgia, off the bench, MJ Melendez, 12 points, 11 rebounds. Florida State unable to hold up down low. And for Florida State overall, they shoot 34.5% from the floor. So, ugga. Able to get the job done. And then in terms of what we saw from Thursday, right now our DK Network right to pick that was on the under in Utah versus Hawaii. Right now not in the world's greatest shape. I took under 145.5 with the write-up. Currently 73 points have been scored in the first half, so we'll need a little bit of a lower scoring second half there. And we'll certainly recap that on the podcast tomorrow. And this game just went to halftime, but looks like it's going to be housing from Creighton unless if we see a big second half from Oklahoma State, 47-29. Creighton coming off of a rough game that they played against Colorado State in their multi-team event last week. But for Creighton, right now they're 7-12 from three-point range. It's been all about Steve Ashworth and Ryan Kunkbrother combined for 26 points in the first half. You've had Trey Alexander chip in their nine points. For Creighton, they're winning the rebound battle 21-11. to And for Oklahoma State, they actually only turned the ball over three times in this game. But the Creighton defense has really gotten after it. And feels like Creighton has used their bench a little bit more in this game rather than the final few games of that multi-team event, which I think is a very, very good thing for Creighton. I do think that if they can go to that bench a little bit more, they're going to be rock solid. And speaking of rock solid, how about how rock solid Florida Atlantic was in this one? Other than that loss that they took against Bryant, this Florida Atlantic team has been getting the job done 83-58 to the final as for Florida Atlantic. They have covered all but one of their games as far this season. The long one that they did not cover was that clunker that they threw up there against Bryant. That Butler game as well, that was one that was a little bit interesting on the point spread. So they failed to cover two games. So I do amend myself because I do think that that opener against Butler was more around five and then they didn't cover the closing number. But that said, 
for Florida Atlantic. 7-14 from three-point range. Elijah Martin, 20 points. He was tremendous in this one. And for Liberty, they play slow. They play control. But they don't do necessarily the world's greatest job on the glass from time to time. They prevent second chances typically. But they don't get a lot of them themselves. For Liberty, they lose battle on glass, 39-29. to You did have, for Liberty, 16 big points out of Colin Porter. But past that, they weren't able to get anything going against a Florida Atlantic defense that a lot of people forget. It was a top 40 unit in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis. That's easy to go. Vladislav Golden, 7 boards, 2 blocks, and 18 points. So, total domination from FAU. And then this Butler offense. How about what we're seeing out of it? 103-95. to They get it done in overtime against Texas Tech. A good Texas Tech defense and a Texas Tech team that got an unreal shooting night from Chance McMillan off the bench. He went 8 of 10 from 3 for 24 points. You were able to have Pop Isaacs and Joe Toussaint combined for 16 assists at 36 points of their own. For Texas Tech, just 7 turnovers in a game that went to overtime. Butler lost that battle, but where Butler won was on the glass. How about 40-24 to 24 with Posh Alexander a triple-double, 10 points, 10 rebounds, 11 assists. You could tell that he was not himself last season when he had to play alongside Andre Corbello. Now he's away from Andre Corbello. He and Butler starting to cook again, and Jamal Telfer, DJ, turned it up Davis. A combined 51 points and Butler, they also won this game at the free throw line. 19 of 25 of the charity stripe with Davis, going 10 of 10 on his freebies. That was absolutely massive. What else was pretty massive was East Carolina's a little bit of home underdog, getting it done outright against UNC Wilmington. 74-66 Wilmington. It's been one of your better cover teams in all of college basketball, but this is an East Carolina team that Early on during the season, they were dealing with Brandon Johnson being out due to illness. Looks like he's back and looks like he's back to being his normal self. 18 points, 11 boards. He went 4 of 8 from 3-point range. And for UNCW, they got 3 of 23 from 3-point range. So, I am pretty remarkable that they were holding this game to Zarian White. Double-double, 14 points, 11 rebounds, but not a great effort there. Very good effort for Minnesota, though. I wasn't sure why they were only about a 12 to 12 and a half point favorite against New Orleans, and they completely house the privateers. 97 to 64 for New Orleans. They go one of 11 from three, and for Minnesota, you had 20 points off the bench from Cam Christie, Mike Mitchell, the transfer from Pepperdine. He chips in there 14 points for Minnesota. They did a very solid job on the glass, winning that battle 44 to 29, and they were able to do this without necessarily getting the world's greatest effort from Dawson Garcia. He had 15 points, but there were so many other guys that they were able to just fill in for him. Dawson Garcia only had to play 18 minutes in this one because the game got completely out of hand, and the team was able to just completely boat race New Orleans. And then how about Coppin State, a team that was just ghastly with their offense coming into this game. For Coppin State against D1 competition, they had not broken the 62-point plateau all season long. They get to 89 against UMBC, which I think that says a lot about the UMBC defense. 89 to 70 to the final as you had 37 points and 13 rebounds out of Justin Winston, who was leading the team with 9.3 points per contest. So nobody deserves to lose them all, and that was the case here. And we saw UIC enter into the night on Thursday. One of the few undefeated teams in college basketball against the spread. They had covered all games. Well, they do not cover this one as UIC actually gets out to a really good start as well. They were up 36 to 25 late in the first half, but Illinois State 
They complete the comeback trail 69-64 to the final for Illinois State. It was key that they had Darius Burford and Dalton Bakes playing tandem in the backcourt. They combined 39 points out of these two gentlemen and for Illinois State, they didn't do a good job of taking care of the ball. They lose the turnover battle 19-14, to but they made the most out of their shots. They go 25-43 of from the floor and 16-24 of at the charity stripe for UIC. 7-15 of at the free throw line and this is a UIC team that they're a little bit shaky with regards their overall shooting, so something to certainly be mindful of there. And for North Alabama, they were able to take it to Tennessee Tech as well, 86-71. to So lots of interesting games are going down in college basketball. Not necessarily the most rambunctious night on Thursday, but certainly had some fun ones with Arkansas Pine Bluff also being able to get the cover against Oklahoma. This is just going final. Looks like Pine Bluff is going to lose this one by 23. Final 45 seconds. They are down 105-82 to against Oklahoma. And Oklahoma team is really starting to put the ball in the basket a little bit more. That's another over in college basketball. And if you look at the last seven days in college basketball, darn near 55% of games have gone over the total. As right now, we are staring at with some results pending from Thursday, 164 overs and 136 unders. And over the last seven days, we really have seen favorites dry up in terms of an against the spread record. Favorites against the spread the last seven days, 134 and 166. Overall for the season, it's really balanced out in terms of favorites and underdogs. Favorites are hitting at 50.3%, 559, 553, and 16 against the spread. Meanwhile, if you take a look at the overs for the season, still hitting at a little bit north of 52%, 583 overs to uh, 536 unders. I believe we have now had 10 pushes along the way as well. So it has been really remarkable to take a look at. And that's what we're seeing in college basketball right now. What else is remarkable to take a look at is the SEC. A man that does such a tremendous job of it is Blake Lovell. He does incredible work over at Southeastern 14. And coming next, we're going to get his reaction to what we saw in the SEC-ACC Challenge. Just lay of the land in the SEC. Certainly going to be talking about Kentucky and some games to watch this weekend. That's up next right here on Coast with myself, Craig Peterson, now part of the Family Podcast. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Okay. I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer. And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. The Walker Hayes for JCPenney collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid-back appeal and down-home vibes. As a dad of seven kids, he knows exactly what fathers want and need when it comes to their style. This collection reflects his casually cool styles with outdoor-inspired details and versatile colors. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th, just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. 
Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Okay, I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun, such a great entertainer. And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. The Walker Hayes for JCPenney collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid-back appeal and down-home vibes. As a dad of seven kids, he knows exactly what fathers want and need when it comes to their style. This collection reflects his casually cool styles with outdoor-inspired details and versatile colors. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th, just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Sports betting innovative analytics has taken the guesswork and emotion out of sports betting to bring you an innovative and trustworthy resource to enhance your journey to becoming a winning player. With industry-leading money-back guarantee options backed by their sophisticated modeling, they want to introduce you to a system that's not widely seen or available to help you beat the bookmaker. Specializing in NBA, college basketball, and WNBA, your first week is always free. Get started at SBIA1.com today. It is always great to be joined by this man, Blake Lovell. He does absolutely tremendous work over at Southeastern 14, in which he takes a look at all things college basketball. I know that the name is SEC 14, but you guys heard him in the offseason breaking down such conferences as the Horizon League, the SOCON, the Atlantic Sun. This guy just knows a little bit of everything about all these college basketball teams based out there in lovely Nashville, Tennessee. And to be able to follow Blake on Twitter, that is easy enough. At the Blake level altogether, or if you prefer to follow my next as well, both work and Blake, it's always great to get you aboard. Thank you. Yeah, I always enjoy it, Greg. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for joining me, Blake. And it has been an interesting last few days because we just wrapped up the interesting event between the ACC and the SEC. Typically, used to be the ACC versus Big Ten Challenge this year. 
it was the SEC versus ACC challenge. But what were your big takeaways from this one? Because I do think that there were a lot of people that were anticipating the SEC to run roughshod through it. And the SEC, in my opinion, had a relatively good showing. But at the same time, I think that it's very clear in terms of the SEC, there's really a divide between the haves and the have-nots in this conference. Yeah, I do think it's pretty clear, Greg, and I think he kind of had sort of, I think, a theme that we've seen in the SEC in recent years, even though it has been a conference that obviously has gotten stronger and, you know, is getting a lot more teams into the NCAA tournament than it used to. I feel like there's been a trend, though, in the past several seasons where you feel like there's a lot of teams that leave some good opportunities on the table, especially in the non-conference, and, you know, I feel like we've seen that already. You know, whether it's a Tennessee, right, who goes, you know, to the Maui Invitational, has two really good opportunities, can't capitalize on either one of them. And then turn around in a third straight game. You've already played Purdue and Kansas. Now you got to go to North Carolina. And you give up 61 points in the first half and you lose that game, but giving up 100 overall. And, you know, we just didn't really expect that based on how the game would play out. But then, you know, it's the teams that have maybe struggled a little bit out of the gate. Like in Arkansas, they wind up, you know, getting their biggest win of the season by beating Duke. And it's been kind of a mixed bag so far, I think, for the SEC. But like you said, I think it's a pretty clear divide of who those top tier teams are. And, you know, kind of like I said to someone earlier, I guess you have a Tennessee lose that game to Carolina. That's a, that's a big type game. You have an A&M. It was like they left one on the table against Virginia. Games like that, but really, I think when you compare those teams still to a lot of other teams in the SEC, at full strength, both of those teams are probably still, you know, top four, five teams in the league. And so it's going to be interesting to see how all these other teams continue to kind of build off of this. You know, you know this by like just breaking down all these different games, but it feels like there are so many SEC teams that are not at full strength. They're all missing guys, and it's kind of impacted, I think, the consistency we've seen from this league. Yeah, it really has made a big impact, and one of those teams that is currently not playing at full strength is one that has really dazzled thus far, and I think we need to get into it. As Blake Lovell, who does tremendous work over at Southeastern 14, joining me right here on Coast to Coast Hoops, and I need to get your thoughts on Kentucky because when I saw that foreign tour that they did over the summer, I thought they were going to play a little bit more up-tempo. I thought they were going to shoot a few more threes. I wasn't expecting quite what we have seen thus far from Kentucky as they just put up a big, giant number on Miami, being able to get past 90 points once again. The 118 against Marshall. Granted, it's a very up-tempo Marshall team. That was something to behold as well. But this is a Kentucky team that all of a sudden has been able to get to at least 81 points thus far this season. What have been your overall takeaways for Kentucky? Because I thought it was going to take a lot longer for the team to gel than as. And as I mentioned, it's a team that still is without Aaron Bradshaw. It kind of, I feel like, led into a segue there, Greg, because I knew Kentucky was coming. And I was like, they kind of need to be their own conversation. Because when you compare them to everyone else, probably in this conference right now, you're asking me right now, who's the team with the highest upside? It's Kentucky. Again, that kind of ties into the fact that we do see a lot of these teams that are not at full strength yet. And it's hurting some of these teams more than others. Kentucky, you know, yeah, it looks like they're about to get Bradshaw back, you know, getting closer to full strength. And yet they're still playing at such a high level. Like you mentioned, the point production they put out just pretty much all season at this point, but especially when you consider what they did to Miami and just seeing the trend now, how they're shooting the ball. I don't know that they finished the, you know, the year shooting 42.6% from three, but it is clear that with the roster they've compiled and the way these guys are playing together so far, they're getting better shots. They're getting more open shots. And I think that was the thing. And I can remember this vividly, Greg. We talked about it going into the season when we talked about Kentucky. Cal's thing was he's going to let them, I don't even know what the word is, but basically he was going to let them sort of dictate the offense. He was going to let them take more threes if they needed to. 
let the players sort of dictate how they played on the offensive end, where I feel like for a lot of years, he talked about the frustration. It felt like they were sort of boxed in. There wasn't a whole lot going on with their offense. It was one guy doing this, four other guys standing around. It's not the case. Like, this team is getting other guys open shots. They're very unselfish. I mean, look at the assist numbers for this Kentucky team. It is remarkable what they're doing right now, whether it's Reed Shepard, who looks like one of the most important players in the entire conference, one of the most important players in the country, based on how he's playing so far, the rest of that freshman group. But it's also, you know, having an Antonio Reeves, the importance of getting a Trey Mitchell. This feels like a pretty complete team to this point. They still got some things they probably need to work out on the defensive end. I think that's where getting a Bradshaw, you know, a seven-foot guy into the mix, that helps a lot of those areas too. So Kentucky has looked really good so far. You know, still got some interesting games. Obviously, the North Carolina one stands out on the non-conference schedule before they get into SEC play. But I think it's very clear that this feels like a different team for Cal. Yes, it certainly does feel like a different team. Typically, this is a more mid-tempo team. Now they're really starting to speed it up. And man, it has been quite the sight to behold. We shall see if this maintains as the competition gets stiffer and stiffer. But they had a big step-up game against Miami, granted at home. But that's a big step-up game. And they made a massive statement. As joining me on the show, we do have Blake Lovell who does amazing work over at Southeastern 14, and he is joining me right here on Cusco Soups. And with regards to the SEC, has there been a team or two thus far that surprised you either to the positive or the negative? I've got my negative in mind, and I'm sure that you have them in mind as well. We're looking at that team that went to Chapel Hill and didn't necessarily do so well. But what have been really your surprise teams from the SEC thus far? Because it has been. Very interesting to see how everything has played out. Yeah, I guess we could start with the negative to get those out of the way. I mean, like you said, I think it is disappointing for Tennessee to have lost these three straight games, you know, knowing these are the kind of teams you're going to play if you're getting deep into the NCAA tournament. If you're trying to make a run, you're going to have to play Purdue. You're going to have to play a Kansas and North Carolina, those type of teams, you know, all the way from home. Now, maybe it's not a true road setting like it was at Carolina, but I think you wanted to see that early on. But of course, you know, we can also say, too, there's still a long way to go. Tennessee's been a little banged up, too. We've seen that with multiple guys to this point. Awaka doesn't play in that North Carolina game. You know, Dillion, you know, good freshman, I think. He doesn't play in that game. And that, you know, leaves with the injury. So, yes, I think Tennessee just not getting any of those wins, pretty disappointing to this point. Elsewhere, I mean, look, I think you could certainly pick apart some of these losses we've seen. I think Alabama, you know, losing to a Clemson, they're still – doing fine at five and two, but that felt like one that you wanted to see Alabama win. Their defense is what it is at this point, right? They're another team like Kentucky. They can score against anybody, it feels like, but defensively, they're different than Kentucky because they are just not playing at a very high level right now. So I'd love to see Alabama be a little more consistent on the defensive side. You know, elsewhere, I mean, look, there's teams like Vanderbilt who still hasn't played at full strength. LSU's been disappointing with how they've lost some of these games, but I don't know that we had that high of expectations for those kind of teams. On the positive side, Greg, again, I think it's like you said a minute ago, you have to start with Kentucky and how far they are already and thinking about what they could be in the future. And there are some other teams you can choose from here, but I'm just going to go with one that I feel like I was pretty much set on this team being the worst team in the SEC heading into the season. And the South Carolina Gamecocks are 6-0 and to this point. I know they haven't played the toughest schedule. But when you watch South Carolina play, they're beating teams that you feel like if this is going to be the the spot that they take a step forward as a program, they need to beat these kind of teams. And they've beaten all of them to this point, whether it's Virginia Tech, you know, Grand Canyon. I know Notre Dame's rebuilding. DePaul, those are teams that are struggling right now. They should beat those teams, and they did. I really like kind of that group of four in the starting lineup and really what they're bringing to the table. You've got a Jacoby Wright there, too, who's 
helping kind of as the first man off the bench. I think the South Carolina team is very interesting. I'm not saying they're going to wind up being a tournament team. I think this schedule gets tougher. It's one to watch. They got a big game against Clemson next Wednesday on the road. But I think there's like a toughness and sort of a swagger to this team that I wouldn't be shocked if South Carolina winds up winning way more games in the SEC than people expected because I think there was kind of a consensus going into you know this season from a lot of people. Hey, if they're not 14, they're 13. Right now, they maybe look more like an eight or nine type team in the SEC. Yeah, they really have been able to rise up, and I'm right there with you. Man, I thought that South Carolina was going to stink, and I'm not bought in on them being a top 25 team at this point. I do think that they need to play a little bit more competition, but with every passing test, they've been able to improve more and more. And another team that has really surprised me, and they're going to have a big test on Saturday. This, in my opinion, is really where the rubber is going to beat the road. How about Ole Miss starting out 6-0? and And they knock off NC State in very convincing fashion. It looks like Musa Cisse just got cleared to play for Ole Miss as well. So reinforcements are on the way for this team. What do you make out of this Ole Miss team that going into the season, I felt like we were both in agreement that this was the biggest team of mystery in the SEC. And even without Cisse to this point, they have really looked good. They have for sure. And I think it's just going to be so fascinating now that you add him to the mix again, considering what he brings to the table and the defensive side. I mean, we know that's what, you know, Chris Beer loves to coach to. He loves to coach to the defense. And, you know, it seems fitting that he finally gets cleared. And again, Greg, that's a conversation for another day in terms of why guys are just now getting cleared six games into the season. It is one of those now where you look at this and think about they've not been great really on either side of the floor so far. Like they're not a great offensive team. They're not a great defensive team. They've had to grind their way to some of these wins. I mean, what, three of their wins are by three points or less against teams that you feel like, you know, should have had a little more separation with those teams, and then they come out and beat an an NC State by 20. I think it's the combination of, again, knowing this is how a Chris Beard coach team is going to work. Things make – it could be sloppy offensively this season. Alan Flanagan's taking a huge step forward. He looks like the old Alan Flanagan that we talked about when he was at Auburn, you know, when he wasn't having to battle through the injuries and all that. I mean, this guy looks the part now. And then, of course, you've got Morrell there who can score. You've got Jamin Brakefield who can score. You've got some other guys that are stepping up at times. But now, you know, you are getting that opportunity to look at this team and think, okay, they're going to be able to pair a Jamarian Sharp who's going to block probably two or three shots a game. You bring in Cissé to the mix. You know you have your limitations offensively, and you're probably going to have them this season when you start to play better competition. Like, you're probably not going to be able to win a lot of games where you have to score 80. But they're probably not going to be a lot of games where they give up 80 either because they are that good, I think, on the defensive side. Not yet, but they can be. And so, yeah, this Ole Miss team looks a lot more intriguing now because, like you said, think about the difference in how we view this team if they were to lose that game against Detroit Mercy or were to lose that game, you know, against Sam Houston State. Games like that that we've seen other SEC teams drop so far. We've seen, you know, a Vanderbilt lose to a Presbyterian. We've seen a Missouri lose to a Jackson State. And some of these other, you know, games like that to this point, you know, Arkansas loses at home, that game to Wilmington. So it's, yeah, Greg, it's one of those things that I think you look at and really wonder, okay, can this Ole Miss team be kind of the sleeper team? And I said Wilmington, by the way, with Arkansas, there's a green pearl. <laughs> but I think Ole Miss is very intriguing all of a sudden because now you add CSA to the mix, and that adds another dynamic to a coach that really loves defense. Oh, absolutely. As we know with Chris Beard, that is his hallmark. We saw that with Texas, and immediately when he was out of the fold at Texas, we did see them crank up that tempo a little bit more as well. So I always take a look at Chris Beard, and I know that his team's are going to play tough defense. We shall see if the offense is able to come along for the ride as well as Blake Lovell, who does amazing work over at Southeastern 14, is joining me on Coast to Coast Hoops. And Blake, 
We've got a lot of good games that are coming up for this weekend. I mentioned one of them with that Ole Miss versus Memphis game. I think that that is going to be one of the biggest ones, and that's going to be one of the most important ones for the SEC this weekend. And I know you had just mistakenly mentioned UNC Wilmington. They actually will be going up against Kentucky yes. on Saturday. So you just had that game on the mind. And, hey, UNC Wilmington is a very good team as well. But in terms of what you're watching for this weekend in the SEC, pretty much Fridays through Sunday, is there any game other than Ole Miss versus Memphis that does pique your interest? Because I do think that it is a very interesting week for the SEC slash into Monday as well, because I know that that Arkansas versus Furman game should be a lot of fun. I don't know if it'll be competitive, but I'm sure there will be a lot of points to that game. Yeah, I do think that will be the case probably with that one. Yeah, I mean, there are some interesting kind of sneaky good games probably on the schedule, you know, whether it's looking at a Missouri, Wichita State, which I think that one's interesting just from Missouri standpoint. You know, we just saw them get the road win at Pitt, which I thought was a pretty, you know, sneaky good win for Missouri to go on the road and get that. Because remember, that, like I said, this is a team who lost that home game to Jackson State. They really needed to kind of regroup and they have over these past several games. I think that's kind of an interesting one. I mean, you know, I know this isn't the Wichita State of many years ago, but it's still a team that is playing good defense and, you know, what, they're only lost to this point against Liberty. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's probably one that you circle uh, that's very interesting on Sunday. You know, even in Auburn, right, going on the road to to play Appalachian State, like that's just one of those games where you're like, oh, yeah, like that's actually going to be a game where Auburn is having to go on the road and and play, you know, that team. And so I think anytime you have those kind of games where you're going on the road and playing those kind of games, I think that one always sets up to be an interesting dynamic. And, And like you said a minute ago, I really think it's just seeing what Kentucky continues to do. Like Kentucky, to me, feels like must see TV at this point, no matter who they're playing, just because it's so fun to watch this group right now and to really see can they just continue to expand off of what they're doing and again like we said Aaron Bradshaw status you know does he come back he's ready to go for that game Uh, whether he is or isn't on the floor I mean this is again a Kentucky team that's so entertaining I'd watch them play just about anybody right now. Oh, they certainly are entertaining to take a look at. And on top of that, this is a little bit moving forward. But that Monday, Arkansas State versus Alabama game, the over-under on that game should probably be set at about 175. And I might still be willing to take a look at the over in that game. I mean, my goodness, Arkansas State playing no defense at all. And with Alabama, we see how they're able to score in a flash. And a man that is always putting up great points, a man that does absolutely amazing work Take a look at this game that we all know and love. That'd be you, Blake. I know you do an absolutely amazing job over at the field of 68 and so much more. So let the good people at home know what's on tap for you and how people can follow along on social media and other platforms. Always appreciate it, Greg. Like you said, we're covering so much now with SEC basketball into the, the fold over at Southeastern 14. Of course, uh, wrapping up SEC football and bowl season, all that coming up. But yeah, the basketball stuff going pretty much every day, looking at all these different teams from these different angles. So you can find it on YouTube, Southeastern 14. You can find us there. And yeah, everything else, you can follow me on Twitter slash X at the Blake level. Blake does such an amazing job taking a look at this game of college basketball every single time he joins his podcast. I feel like we get just a little bit smarter and it's always great to have his insights. So a big thanks to Blake for joining me right here on Cuscus. It's now part of the Visa Family Podcast. And coming up next, it is that time of the podcast. I give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Friday as we hit some bank shots. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. 
If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Okay. I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer. And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. The Walker Hayes for JCPenney collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid-back appeal and down-home vibes. As a dad of seven kids, he knows exactly what fathers want and need when it comes to their style. This collection reflects his casually cool styles with outdoor-inspired details and versatile colors. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th, just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Okay. I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer. And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. The Walker Hayes for JCPenney collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid-back appeal and down-home vibes. As a dad of seven kids, he knows exactly what fathers want and need when it comes to their style. This collection reflects his casually cool styles with outdoor-inspired details and versatile colors. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th, just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Okay. 
I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer. And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. The Walker Hayes for JCPenney collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid-back appeal and down-home vibes. As a dad of seven kids, he knows exactly what fathers want and need when it comes to their style. This collection reflects his casually cool styles with outdoor-inspired details and versatile colors. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th, just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. We're back here in Las Vegas for Coast to Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Hoops Peterson, now part of the Visa Family Podcast, and it's always great to be joined by Blake Lovell. He does amazing work over at Southeastern 14, taking a look at this great game. I know that the name is SEC 14, which I'm sure that that'll be changed after this season, but he does much more than that. He does such a great job taking a look at the national landscape of college basketball, certainly We've got a lot of big games that are going down just all across college basketball, whether it be the Big East versus Big 12 Challenge. The SEC has some big ones coming up in the next few days and so much more. And Blake does a great job of breaking it all down. Big thanks to him for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast to give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this College Basketball Friday as we hit some bank shots. Most financial establishments close at a certain time, but not here. It is time for a side and total on every game on today's betting board bank shots. Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter slash X feed at unit underscore D1. And we're going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order. This is pretty much time order with regards to the bigger conferences and then the smaller conferences, which we only have a few for today. The MEC, the MEAC, the Southland, I believe that we're able to throw in there. Also the America East. Those are going to be games that are at the bottom. If I didn't say America East, America East as well, but everything else pretty much in time order from there. So let's get things started with 841-842 on the bank board. St. Thomas is on the road facing off against Western Michigan. Western Michigan, a one and a half to a two-point favorite totals between 133 and 133 and a half. I said St. Thomas as a two-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to take them out right on the money line. Fully recognize that when I sent my back St. Thomas, I did a write-up on them against UW-Green Bay, and they were as cold as an igloo in that game, but the St. Thomas team does such a good job with their offensive efficiency. In their two years at the Division I level, they have been a top 30 team in terms of fewest turnovers on a per-possession basis, even with that clunker against UW-Green Bay. So for the season, they're th- throwing it in there at a 37% clip from three-point range, and they've been able to get quite a bit of production out of their sophomore and Kendall Blue. He's a 6'6 combo player that currently shooting 55% for three-point range. That'll see a little bit of a fall off, but love the nine points per game that he's been able to throw in there. Couple that with the fact that got a pair of guys that are giving you about five rebounds for Ian Parker, Jorklin, Bennett, Kowinski. 
They are going to need to match up down low against the Western Michigan team, in which their forte is down low. Anthony Crump has been able to give you six rebounds per game. You always get good production with in the neighborhood of about five and a half to six rebounds per game out of Titus Wright as well. But that said, you take a look at B. Artis White and the fact that he just continues to be in and out of the fold. And that's what's going this backcourt for Western Michigan. Now, it looks like he should be good to go in this one. But in two of the last three games that he's played in, he has really just not been able to contribute too much. Less than 15 minutes in two out of those three. He's given you a combined 13 points in his last three contests. And this team was really relying upon him coming back from injury during the 2020-21 campaign. He was able to log about 14 and a half points per game. Hasn't been right ever since then. Despite that, you do have a Western Michigan team that's shooting 39.5% from three, which I'm sorry, that is going to take a fall off. Last year, they were 33% three-point shooting team, and they lost their top three-point shooters from a season ago, though. I do like what I'm seeing out of Seth Hubbard. He has come in and given the team 17 points per contest after last year. He did shoot about 42.5% from three, seven and a half points per game. He's kicked up the volume. He's been able to do a relatively solid job, but with this Western Michigan team, they do get a little bit more loose with the ball because they are really looking for the uh, international man of mystery in Jefferson, Taylor Cruz Barango, to be able to help out with the facilitation. He's been able to give you about four assists per contest, and that was a fun name to say, but 15 turnovers per game for this team compared to the town of St. Thomas, I think is going to be a big bugaboo. And for St. Thomas, they always get their slow and controlled style since coming up to the D1 level. They, every single year, have been outside the top 275 in terms of total possessions per game. They're back in the bottom 40 thus far this season, so I think that this is a slow and controlled game that St. Thomas is going to be more efficient in. I did set St. Thomas as a two-point favorite, taking them out right on the money line, and with regards to this total, set mine at a 128, so diving in on the under. Now we get the DK Network right pick. This is 843-844 on the betting board. Liberty is going to be taking on Charleston. This is a part of the fine field of 68 tip-off with Liberty finding themselves between 7 and 7.5 seven point favorites and Jordan's game is in the neighborhood of 146 and a half and my write-up is going to be taking the points with Charleston. I'm not going to take them outright on the money line, but I felt like this should be a two-and-a-half-point game. This is going to be a neutral court game, by the way, out there in Boca Raton, Florida. But Liberty is coming off of a game where yesterday they had to play against Florida Atlantic. Florida Atlantic ran them out of the gym in the first half. And for Liberty, I did feel like they got a little bit exposed. Their numbers going into the day yesterday were very good in terms of offensive efficiency at top 25 team. They were shooting as collective 42.5% from three, which you just knew that there was going to be a little bit of a drop-off with that regard. And they're going up against a Charleston team that they're just doing for positivity in general. This Charleston team, through the first four games of the season, shot 21 of 117 from three-point range. Not to say that at the end of the year they're going to shoot like 40% from three or anything like that, but last season... This was about a 33% three-point shooting team, and they added a pair of guys, C.J. Fulton from the Patriot League, along Frankie Polacelli, who both shot in the neighborhood about 36-37% from three-point range at their respective schools the last two seasons to be able to elevate that, and with this Liberty team playing in a back-to-back, this is not the sort of opponent that you want to go up against in Charleston, that they are able to go eight-plus deep. They don't play as much of a breakneck pace as they did in year number one under Pat Kelsey, but they're still a team that's in the top 125 in terms of total possessions per game, and you've got Got so many different weapons for the team. I was mentioning Frankie Polacelli coming in from Sony Brook. He, Rain Smith, Antti Brazovic, 
Ben Burnham. All these guys are giving you between 9.2 and 11.7 points per game. Kobe Rogers has also been able to give you about 9.5 points per contest. These guys all really work in tandem. You don't necessarily have one guy that absolutely dominates the glass, but four of your top five scorers giving you at least 4.3 rebounds per game. Much in the way that Liberty, with their pack line defense, they work as a collective where the hole is greater than the sum of its parts. In most cases, Jarius McGee was able to go into takeover mode a little bit for Liberty the last season or two, but you've got a Charleston system that is the same way, only a little bit more up-tempo. It is a Charleston team that does a better job of being able to generate turnovers than for Liberty. They do a good job of taking away second chances. Charleston, they do a good job of getting second chance opportunities, getting a rebound on 32.9% of their misses, but with Liberty, I think that they're going to have a tough time with the 6'10 Brazilovic down low. Do have Kyle Rohde, who's a nice point forward. 16 points, 4 boards, 3 assists per contest, but I do think that Liberty did get a little bit exposed yesterday for the fact that they didn't necessarily play the world's greatest competition. you got a Charleston team that I do think is a little bit on the come up. I do think that for Charleston, the pieces are starting to work out, and for this Liberty bunch, I think that they're going to have a tough time with the versatility in which you're playing pretty much a up, more up-tempo clone of themselves, I think is actually a very good way of putting it, and obviously a team that plays a little bit of a different style of defense, but both of these teams are very deep. Liberty coming off of a back-to-back, laying seven points is something I want absolutely no part of. I did something I told 142.5 as well. Charleston was a top 40 team in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis. He sees to go, so I'm diving in on the under, especially with those tired legs, and with my DK Network right up pick, I'm taking the points with Charleston. Set them as a two and a half point underdog. 8.45, 8.46 on the betting board. It is Houston, and they are going to be on the road facing up against Xavier. The X-Men of Xavier are anywhere between 7.5 and 8 point underdogs, and total on this game, finding it anywhere between 138 and 139, and with Houston, I do think that they should be able to control this game. I did set them as a nine-point favorite. I am going to be willing to lay it. It is a Xavier team that isn't playing quite as up-tempo as they did a season ago, but they're still looking to push a relatively similar pace to what they did a season ago, right around about 50th, 55th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. But I think that they're just going to be stonewalled by a Houston defense a year in and year out there in the top 10 in the country in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis. They're back in the top 10 in the country in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis, and I think that Houston is just going to absolutely clobber the Xavier team on the glass with Xavier. Right now, your top rebounder is Quincy Oliveri with 5.1 rebounds per game. He's a guard with some size, but when that's your top rebounder, you know it's not going well. You've got Abdul Usman, who comes in from North Texas, able to give you about 8 points, 5 boards. He's a solid player, but the Xavier team last year they had so much success because even though their defense was a little bit lackluster, they were able to bury through threes at a 39.5% clip, and now they're without their top six scores from a season ago, which means that Desmond Claude has had to do a little bit of everything for the team. He's shipping in their 16 points, three and a half assists, a steal per game, but man, just not what it was a season ago. Meanwhile, for this Houston team, they just got one of the most impactful players in all of college basketball. I recognize that Jamal Shedd doesn't have like big scoring numbers or anything like that with only about nine points per contest, but the way that he impacts the game with three steals, six and a half assists, doles out the ball to guys like Emmanuel Sharp, LJ Cryer with Cryer leading the way with 17 points shooting 38% from 3 par range and Houston is just so effective on the offensive end because they don't give away possessions. 8.1 turnovers per game. Recognize that they play quite slowly but that's really good efficiency. Jawan Roberts does a good job of just clobbering on the glass if you're an opponent and you miss your first shot, you're not getting a second shot on this Houston team. They're always towards the top of all of college basketball in terms of rebound rate. I think that this is going to be a master class from Houston in terms of their defense. I do think that it's going to be a lower scoring game and I don't want to lay much more than the 7.5 slash 8. 
Right now, it is still a true road game, but I'm going to be willing to lay up to 8.5 with Houston. Set them as a 9-point favorite, and I think that Xavier, a team that's just way down with their shooting from a season ago, gets stonewalled. Semi total out of 133, diving in on the under, and I'm going to be willing to lay it with Houston. 847-848 on the bank board. It is a men of Troy, and they play SIU Edwardsville. Edwardsville finds themselves as underdogs of 3.5 to 4 points, and your total on this game, finding it anywhere between 140.5 and 141. With Edwardsville, I did set them as an underdog of 2.5 points. Three or more was my buy point on them, so we have reached that. And for Edwardsville, they've really slowed down the tempo. They are a bottom 40 team in terms of total possessions per game. Going up against Troy Brunch, that they lose a lot from last season. They're going to be out to brunch with Christian Eugene leading the way with 16 points, 3.5 assists per contest. It's been a case where he's been able to do a relatively solid job for the offense. And he's gotten a little bit more three-point shooting with... Titan Conway being able to give you 11.5 points, currently shooting 43% from three-point range, but for Troy, 16 turnovers per game. That is not great, to say the least. They face off against an SIU Edwardsville team in which they've got the Wright brothers and Shamar and Lamar Wright. Those are of relation to Lorenzo Wright. Both of these guys are six foot seven. Both of these guys are willing to let it fly from three-point range, and it really is going to be a tempo battle because we've got a Troy team that currently ranks at the top 10 in the country in terms of possessions per game. Now, I will say that's a very warped number because in their games against Division One opponents, you had that double overtime game against Oregon State. You had that single overtime game against Amy Houston State. So they played about 15 more minutes than most other teams. So that does play a little bit of an effect. But I wish Shamar right on the flip side for SIU Edwardsville. Talk about a guy that's able to take over the game. 17.5 points, four boards, shooting 39.5% from three-point range, and then additionally, you've got a guy that has been in this backcourt for a very long time that has done a nice job of being able to dole it out, and Rashawn Taylor. He gives you about three assists, shooting 44% from three, and for Edwardsville, they have slowed down the tempo to make themselves more efficient. They're turning the ball over less than ever before at 10.5 turnovers per game. They're shooting 39.5% from three, which we should see a little bit of a drop-off there. They don't necessarily have ideal size, but Darmarco Minor, he plays much bigger than what he is. He's six feet tall, and he's averaging 10 rebounds per game. Last year, he averaged more like five and a half boards per contest. I don't think he's going to be able to keep up the 10 rebounds per game for the entirety of the season, but it has been a marvel to take a look at him. Now, I will say for Edwardsville, it is a little bit of a top-heavy team after your first four while averaging at least 11.5 points per game. You've only got one other player averaging more than 4.3 points per game, and Terrence Thompson, who comes in actually from old UW-Green Bay, and he's been able to make a little bit of an impact for this team. And Troy does have a little bit more depth. You've got someone like an Amir Muhammad who's been able to give you 9 points per game, but it is a Troy team that it feels like they're playing way too fast for their own good. I know that Coach Scott Cross always likes to play up-tempo, but it just doesn't feel like he necessarily has the personnel to be able to do so. As a result, this is a Troy team that in all their games against D1 opponents as far this season, they have allowed at least 76 points, except for when they played against a Grambling team as all out of sorts. Uh, it's a good old situation of something's got to give because this is an Edwardsville team that's given up 67 or fewer in three out of their last four games, and they're playing super-duper slow. This is a total that I personally set at a 134.5. I do think that Edwardsville is going to be able to slow this game down. I think that Troy is going to look themselves in the mirror and realize, yeah, this tempo that we're playing at is a little bit too fast, so going to be diving in on the under. I do think that because Edwardsville slows this game down, they hang in there, I'm going to take three or more with Edwardsville. 849, 850 on the betting board. It is Georgia playing us a Mercer. Mercer is a 14.5 to a 15-point underdog with your total between 138.5 and 139. And with Mercer, set them as 13.5-point underdogs. I'm going to be willing to take the points. Big time win a few nights ago for Georgia. Being able to go on the road, they were trailing throughout the entirety of the game. They get the job done in the ACC versus SEC challenge as an 8-plus point underdog against Florida State. 
Just not impressed by this Florida State team, though. And for Georgia, it is an offense that's a little bit all over the place as well. His bunch has been able to exceed the 70-point plateau just once in their last five games. They were able to do so against Oregon because 100 million billion fouls were called. But we've also got a Mercer team that's been pretty anemic with their offense as well. For Mercer, they have not broken 70 points against a D1 opponent as far as the season. So I do think that you might be in for a little bit of a rock fight. I did set my total at a 139.5, though, because this is also a Mercer team that even though they're playing slowly, the defense has not necessarily been on par, but I do think that we are going to see a little bit of a bounce back for this Mercer team on offense. They have been turning the ball over about 13 times per contest. They play against a Georgia team that really doesn't generate a lot of seals at about six per contest, and I do think that with Georgia not having a lot down low other than Russell Chewa, the seven-footer from South Florida that's able to give you six rebounds per game, that this Mercer team is going to be a matchup a little bit on the glass. Jalen McCrary has been able to give you four and a half rebounds, 15-plus points per game, and then you bring in Amanzi Nagabezi, who comes over from Jacksonville State, actually began his career at Georgia, by the way, so welcome back, Potter. He's been able to shoot about 31% from three for his career. It's a six-foot-nine, little bit of a combo player. I do think that that versatility is going to throw Georgia for a little bit of a loop, and for Georgia, they are starting to figure out their offense a little bit more with Noah Thomason coming in from Niagara. He played in one of the slowest tempo systems in all of college basketball, and yet he still, last year, had 19.5 points, 3.5 boards, 3.5 assists. It is a Georgia team. I think there should be a little bit of positivity with their 30.5% three-point shooting. Not that they're going to go into flamethrower mode or anything like that, but I do think that they're a little bit better than that. Georgia's been able to do an okay job of taking care of the ball as well, about 11.5 turnovers per game. They just have some misfit pieces like RJ Melendez gives you about 8.5 rebounds per game. It just feels like he doesn't really do anything well. It's not like he does anything terrible, but he really doesn't do anything well. Silas Damari Jr. has come in as a freshman. He's been able to log about 8 points, 2.5 assists per game. He's been a nice little number two ball handler for this team, but I do take a look at this Georgia bunch. I do think that they should be able to get the job done, but I don't think that they dominate on the glass the way that they should for Mercer to get completely steamrolled as it's been a little bit of a rough go of it for Mercer, but I do think that they're going to be able to get their offense going just a little bit more in this one to be able to hold in there. I'm willing to take 14 or more with Mercer, and I did sell my total at 139 and a half. Banking on Georgia, starting to hit some of those three. So looking at the over and the points with Mercer, 851-852 on the betting board. Indiana plays us in Maryland. Maryland is an underdog of between two and two and a half points, and your total is between 137 and 138. I said Maryland is a two-point favorite. I'm going to be taking them out right on the money line. I've really not liked what I've seen out of both of those these teams as far this season, but with this Indiana team, it just feels like they are not really finding their footing right now. They had a nice win against Harvard, where in the second half, they finally got it going from three-point range, but for Indiana, it just feels like the rotations are not online for this team. Khalil Ware, Mackenzie, and Bakpo, they just can't play with one another. I really would like to see them somehow, some way, find a way to get Peyton Sparks four minutes. He played just four minutes in that game against Harvard, and when Indiana had that very fortunate cover on opening numbers against Louisville, I mean, it was Peyton Sparks that really got the team to victory, along with the Miami transfer down low and Anthony Walker. So, I take a look at this Indiana team. They've got a lot of depth down low, but I know they're than Khalil Ware. It just feels like the rotations are off with Ware. He has been awesome. A former top 25 recruit, 17 and a half points, 
nine boards. And I recognize that the numbers for Malik Renu are good in terms of him throwing out the ball, putting in there some points, but it does feel like the offense is more clunky when he's out there. I really can't describe it, but it just feels like he's not a good fit with his team. Meanwhile, you've seen Trey Galloway go in the toilet bowl with his shooting. Last year shot 46% from three. This year he's shooting 16.5% from three. Do I think that there's some positivity coming? Oh, absolutely, but at the same time, I also thought that there was a lot of positivity coming from Maryland, and Maryland in their last game against Ryder when they had entered, shooting about 21.5% from three-point range. They went into inferno mode. They put up north of 100 points, and I do think that they've got the best guard in this game, and that would be Jameer Young. Jameer Young is able to do it all with 16 points, 4.5 assists, shoots 34% from 3-point range, and for this Maryland team as a whole, they're still only shooting about 23.5% from 3, so I think there's more coming. Now, they need to get more of their freshman into Sean Harris-Smith. He's putting up 8 points, 5 boards, 2.5 assists per game on 5.3% 3-point shooting. Greg Peterson could shoot better than 5.3% from three-point range, and I fully am aware how hard it is with closeouts and everything like that, but I still think I could shoot better than 5.3% from three-point range. Jordan Geronimo, the Indiana transfer, he's been shooting 14% from three-point range. You just need to get a little bit more down low outside of Dante Scott and Julian Reese, and you do need a little bit more from Scott other than the four and a half rebounds per game he has been providing, but he has been able to give this team a little bit of an inside-out presence. This is a Maryland team, and it feels like they've got things sorted out in the backcourt a little bit more, and I'm not sure if it's just me, but I do look at these Big Ten Conference games a little bit differently than in January and February. It just feels like that home court environment just isn't quite there in December, as opposed to when you do have the calendar flip to 2024 in this case, or just after Christmas in general. So, it is a case where I'm going to be willing to back Maryland outright on the money line. Did sub I tell at 132. Neither of these teams are playing up tempo. Neither of these teams have really gotten their offense going. Sands are really last game in the case of both Maryland and Indiana. So, Diving in on the under, and I'm going to be taking a look at Maryland outright on the money line. 853, 854 on the betting board. It is Manhattan, and they play us some Mount St. Mary's. The Mount finds themselves as between two and two and a half point favorites, and your total is between 137 and 138 and a half. I did some Manhattan as a favorite of two points. I'm going to be willing to take them outright on the money line as a home underdog. Now, when it comes to the Metro Atlantic, this is probably the conference in which you have the least value in terms of home court advantage because one of these scenes are all in the New York, New Jersey area. So you really don't have a lot of travel involved. These guys are not having to like slog through a whole bunch of flights or anything like that. But that said, with this Manhattan team, I think that they're the better coach team with John Gallagher at the home. I really love the job that he did over at Hartford a few seasons ago. And I do think that he's starting to find out what he's all got with the team as Sidu Traore has been a very underrated freshman. 13 and a half points, nine boards. Not a guy that's going to light it up from three-point range, but impacts all aspects of the game. He's been able to get a little bit of something out of Brett Ruppel as well. He comes over from St. Bonaventure where he was a little bit of an afterthought, and he's turned into a guy that's able to draw out the ball with about five assists per game. At six foot four, he's got relatively good size for a main ball handler. Need a bit more out of Briggs McLean. He came in as Hartford's main scorer from season ago, and he's only been able to give the team right around about two and a half points per game. And the 15 turnovers per game for Manan, that's a little bit ghastly, but for Mount St. Mary's, the specialty for the team the last few seasons has been having guys like Malik Jefferson and company do a good job of it in the glass. They've only got one player right now averaging more than four and a half rebounds per game. Jetty Cordelia, he comes over from the Netherlands, and he's a part-time starter last year that has been able to do a solid job with about seven and a half points per contest, five boards. He doesn't shoot threes at all, and Without the team having a main post presence, they're a little bit doomed, especially with Jalen Benjamin. Their main ball handler from a season ago gone. This is still a relatively slow tempo Mount St. Mary's team that is not turning the ball over 15 times per contest. You've not necessarily gotten what you wanted out of Dola Adebayo as well. 
Comes in from the great state of Florida. He's only been able to give the team right around 7 points, 3.5 rebounds per game. I think he's of relation to Bam Adebayo as well. I might be mistaken on that, but really the guys have to do it all on offense for the Mount is Dakota Lafayette, who last season was a really good three-point shooter, but now he has to have the ball in his hands a whole heck of a lot more. Now he doesn't have Jalen Benjamin to take the ball out of his hands a little bit more, and he has to just really do it all with the few last season. He had 13 points on 38% three-point shooting this year. He's got 15 half points per game, but that efficiency is way down. He is shooting about 23% from three-point range. George Chinsley is not really giving you a lot on the offensive end. Mount St. Mary's is playing like nine or ten guys, but that's because they just really don't know what they have. Recognize that for Manhattan, they have been getting lambasted, but when you play against UConn and Kansas, your numbers are going to look a little bit worse, and the Mount has not been challenged like that since their game against Maryland a little bit earlier in the season. So I do look in this spot. I recognize that the Mount's numbers are better than that of a 1-14, but for Manhattan, I do think that they get the job done at home. I'm going to be willing to take them outright on the money line, and I did something total at 136. This is a Mount St. Mary's team that's not finding their footing on offense of both of these teams are just turning the ball over so much that the turnover production would make Sarah Lee's bakery blush. So I'm going to be taking a look at the under MNN now right on the money line. 855, 856 on the betting board. Iona hits the road faceoff against Fairfield. The Stags of Fairfield are an underdog of 3.5 points. Total is between 148 and 148.5. And Said Iona is a five-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay this number with Iona. They just have flat-out more talent than Fairfield as Fairfield. Still awaiting their return of Alexis yet. No, I don't know if he's going to be returning at all. That guy has been so banged up throughout his college basketball career that it's not even funny. So whatever they get, they get. They've been dealing with having Barima Sec not be able to develop as well. This guy has not been able to get out there on the floor thus far this season. We don't know if he's going to be able to get out there on the floor. So those are two main post presidents that Fairfield was going to be relying upon that they currently don't have. James Johns is a former top 300 or so recruit that has not really developed as well. Seven points for contest. He's been dealing with some injuries. You've been dealing with injuries as well with one of your top scorers and Jalen Leach, who's been able to give you about 8 or so points per contest, actually closer to 10 points per contest, but for Fairfield, you just need to find someone other than Bryson Goudine to be able to help out as well, as he's dealt with injuries all throughout his career as well. He's already missed a game or two thus far this season. It's a Fairfield team that's all sorts of banged up. They really have no size on though. They've got one guy that's giving you north of 5 rebounds per game in Jasper Floyd, who at 6 for 3 is able to give you 6 boards per contest, and though Iona, they're dealing with an injury to their top big man in Osborne Shema as as well. Still have some like Wiza Ponzo at six foot seven. He's able to bury threes at a thirty-seven percent clip last year. Actually shot forty-six percent from three. Iona's old. They're shooting about thirty-five and a half percent from three-point range. Isaac Trout. He comes over from Harvard. He has been the main guy with about sixteen and a half points per game. And for Iona, they have a nice pass-first point guard in Joel Brown. He comes in from Cal, where a season ago at Cal, he was a starter for a team that well they stunk in the Pac-12, but it was still a Pac-12 team. And he's been able to give up three and a half assists, three steals. He's impacted the game in so many ways, even though he is only scoring right around 8 points per contest. He is able to hook up guys like one of the top junior college transfers in all of college basketball like Greg Gordon, who's been able to give you 12.5 points per contest. He's got some relatively solid depth with this Iona team. And for Iona, they don't have great size, but they certainly have more than Fairfield right now. Fairfield has just been completely out of sorts in terms of their offense as two of their last three games against D1 opponents. They have failed to break the 63-point plateau for Iona. Recognize that they are currently losers of four out of their last five, but they played close against Long Beach State. They were able to hang in there against Mary. 
Harris. They get a win against Buffalo by a very convincing margin. And the defense has honestly looked a little bit better, giving up fewer than 70 points in two out of their last three games. So it is a spot where I said my total 145 and a half. Fairfield is playing a little bit more up-tempo, but they just have not been able to find their footing in really any facet of basketball at this point with their coach and Jay Young getting canned weeks before the season. So going to be willing to lay up to four and a half with Iona. Set my total 145 and a half. So diving under to go along with the Gales. 857, 858 on the bank board. It is Ryder on the road facing up against Siena. Siena is between a four and a half to a five point home underdog. And your total on this game is 134. And I set Ryder as a five and a half point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay in the number. Ever since Siena lost Michael Ely, they just have not been the same. Now, the good news is, yeah, get back Michael Ely. And that was big for them. They still got absolutely lambasted against Albany, but he had 20 of the team's 51 points. So that shows you where they were without him. So I certainly had to upgrade Siena, or else they'd be like an eight point underdog in this spot because, man, they were getting absolutely nothing going, but they've also been dealing with some other injuries like Zek Tevin. He's just returned to the fold as well. You could tell that he was not 100% in his first game back against Albany. He played 16 minutes. He had one point and four turnovers. When you're getting four times the turnovers as you are points, that's not necessarily a good sign for Siena. They just as a whole have been a sloppy, sloppy team. 17.8 turnovers per game and fully recognize that Ryder got just completely cooked for north of 100 points against a Maryland team that haven't been able to put the ball in the basket all season long, but you just have better rebounding with the team with Mervyn James at 6-7 being able to make such an impact with this team. He's been able to give you 7 boards, 17.5 points per game. Tariq Ingram down low is able to give you 7 boards as well. Now, you need the 3-point shooting to come along for the ride. TJ Weeks for his career over at UMass, was able to log about 9 points per contest as a mid-33-point shooter. He's only giving you about 7 points per game. You got Alan Boom Boom Powell thus far this season is shooting 18.5% from 3. Last two seasons was averaging double figures. He's only been able to give you 6 points per game, but I do think that things are going to be able to come along as you've got a Siena team that just feels like they've got a lot of misfit pieces. They lose darn near everything from last year, as a lot of these teams in the Metro Atlantic, they're just going through it as well, but for Siena, I mean, the sadness is truly there for the team. Outside of opening night against Holy Cross, they have not broken the 60-point plateau. For Ryder, I fully recognize that this team as well, up until that game against Maryland, against the one competition, they had not gotten past 65 either. So I do think that this is going to be a slow, rather sad game. Set my total at 131.5, but even with Ely back in the fold, I don't think it's enough for a Siena team that they just can't stop turning the ball over. I set my line at 5.5 with Ryder being the favorite, so going to be one late. Set my total at 131.5, so also diving in on the under. 859, 860 on the betting board. It is South Carolina playing host to George Washington. Our nation's first president is a nine to nine and a half point underdog. And your total saying between 148 and 149. I did set South Carolina as a six-point favorite, so I'm going to be willing to take the points with old George Washington. With South Carolina, we were talking about this team a little bit with Blake Lovell, and I have been highly impressed with them as well. I thought that South Carolina was going to stink on ice this season as well, and hey, you know what? With South Carolina, they've been able to get some good point guard play out of Taylon Cooper. It's not necessarily what he's doing, but what he's not doing. And you know what he's not doing? Turning the ball over. 5.2 5.2 assists, 0.8 turnovers per game while shooting 40% from three. You can't ask for much more of a point card. Granted, he's only scoring about nine points per contest, but you'll take that if you're darn near any team in all of college basketball. Now, where South Carolina's week is down low. They do have four separate guys who are able to give you at least four rebounds per game, but BJ Mack is right now your leader in boards, five boards, 16 points per game. You need a little bit more rebounding there. Michi Johnson has turned into a nice go-to scorer, but sometimes he can be a little bit reckless, much like James Bishop, the fourth on the flip 
outside for George Washington. He's putting up 21 points, 5 assists per game. Sometimes a bad shot for him is better than a good shot for his teammates, but he's got three other guys behind him that are really able to help out Maximus Edwards. He's been going to the maximum with 17 plus points, 6 plus boards. I absolutely love his game. Darren Buchanan Jr. as a freshman, 5 boards, 13 and a half points per game, and then Garrett Johnson. How about what this freshman has been able to do? 15 points, 7 boards. He stands right around 6 foot 8 and he's shooting 48.5% from 3 point range. Now, what is ailing this George Washington team? They don't necessarily have a ton of depth. They have those 4 guys and then nobody else that averages north of 5.5 points per game, but they've been able to get a little bit of rebounding down low out of Babatune Akangbola. He's been able to come in and has been able to give the team right around 4.5 rebounds per game. Spent the beginning part of his career at Auburn, so I do like his overall size. And for George Washington, talk about a team playing at warp speed. They are number one in the country in all of college basketball, but after last season, their defense that was just absolutely abysmal has really kicked it into high gear. I mean, it is not very often that you see a team, because they did play that double overtime game against Ohio, but a team going this up-tempo give up 74 points or fewer in regulation in four of their last five games, but they have done that. And for the South Carolina team, since that game against Virginia Tech, this team has yet to allow north of 68 points as well. Now, granted, we need to see a little bit more of the South Carolina team before I can anoint them this big of a favorite, but you've got a South Carolina team that's in the bottom 75 in terms of total possessions per game, a George Washington team playing at just warp speed. I did as a result set my total 148. So here at a 149, diving in on the under, I think that the George Washington defense holds up. I'm willing to take the points with them. As I said, our nation's first president as an underdog of six points. So take the points and the under 861-862 on the bang board. West Virginia plays us to St. John. St. John says a favorite of between three and a half and four points. Your total setting between 145 and a half and 146. This line opened up at two and a half, and here at the three and a half, it's about the max I'd be willing to lay. It's starting to get seamed up a little bit too high, but that said, I am going to be willing to lay the three and a half with St. John's. This is a red sword team that is very much a work in progress, but you know who else is a work in progress? Our good friends, West Virginia, and you wish Josh Eilert absolutely nothing but the best, but man... They're currently without Kirk Carissa. Jesse Edwards has been tremendous down low. 16 points, 10.5 rebounds per game. But this team is just looking for warm bodies to be able to fill minutes. They're currently going with a six-man rotation with one of those guys in Ofari Nave getting minutes. That's not a guy that I was really expecting to get minutes for. This is West Virginia team coming into the season. West Virginia just completely lacking outside shooting. Right now, the only guy shooting north of 34.5% from three that is seeing meaningful minutes is Quinn Slazinski. I mean, he's been tremendous coming over from Iota. I did not think that he had it in him. 16 points, 4.5 boards, shooting 38% from three. He's a six foot eight, do-it-all sort of player, but I do think that Jules Soriano is going to be able to win that battle down low against Jesse Edwards, currently averaging a double-double 16 points, 10 rebounds per game, and you just have better play in the backcourt, in my opinion. Now, you do have on the flip side, Seth Wilson, who had one of the best assist-to-turnover ratios in all of college basketball for West Virginia season ago, but he's a little bit of a lower usage guy. Meanwhile, Jenkins, Dennis Jenkins, 5.8 assists per contest. It is a St. John's team that they are turning the ball over a little bit too much. 14 turnovers per game. Jordan Dingle, after he was Mr. Do-It-All, the top scorer at Penn, he's had a little bit of a tough time acclimating in his new role, but you know what's good for St. John's? They play against a West Virginia team that's averaging 3.7 steals per game. They're getting less than one steal every 10 minutes. 
That's really not good. That's not good at all. And for West Virginia, talk about a team that's been stuck in the mud. 65 points or fewer scored in four out of their last five games. Meanwhile, you've got a St. John's team that they themselves have been getting absolutely cooked, giving up 82 plus points at three out of their last five games. So it's a good old situation, once again, of something's got to give. I did set my total at 146. I do think that West Virginia going to be able to find a little bit more of a semblance of offense. And for St. John's under Rick Pitino, I think that this team is looking to run. And for the St. John's team, even though I was mentioning the defense getting absolutely cooked, since I came against North Texas, they have been able to get to 73 and darn near every one of their games this far this season, 80-plus points in each other their last three games. And you got to feel like St. John's going to try to feed some of these guys that have been a little bit more of afterthoughts, like Glenn Taylor Jr., Naheem Aleem, just to be able to get them a little bit of buy-in. So I do think that St. John's cranks up their tempo. I'm willing to lay up to 3.5 with them. Set my total at 146, so here at 145.5, going over, and willing to lay 3.5 with St. John's. 863, 864 on the betting board. Niagara is going to be playing us to St. Peter's. The Peacocks are a 1-1.5 to point underdog in your total between 123.5 and 124.5. I set my total at 124.5. I am really not willing to go any further over than the 124, but I am going to be willing to take the over. Now, the last time I bet on a St. Peter's game, I did a write-up for them to go over the total against Rutgers, and St. Peter's did not do their part with a grand total of 40 points. Prior to that, though, they had gotten to at least 60 points at each other previous three games, and I do think that that was just a little bit of an outlier of a result. You do have a St. Peter's team that is in the top 20 in all of college basketball in terms of percentage of missed shots that do result in an offensive rebound. This team has been very good on the glass. you got Michael Hoagie who's been able to give you about six rebounds per game. They're currently dealing with an injury to Corey Washington, who was very much a do-it-all player last season, and this year was logging about 11 points, six sports per contest. So that does put them a little bit behind the eight ball, and... It's been a little bit touch and go with the transfer of Marcus Randolph, who comes in from Richmond. He's been very much able to give this team some three-point shooting from the outside with about nine points per game, but feels like he'll either give you like 15-plus or give you three. Really not a lot of consistency there. And for St. Peter's, the 15-and-after an overs per game, one of the worst marks in all of college basketball. Good news is they go up against a Niagara team that they really do not seek steals. Niagara, they're one of the slower teams in all of college basketball as well ever since Greg Paulus has taken over. I don't think they've cracked the top 300 in terms of total possessions per game, and they don't have a ton down low. They've got one guy giving you earth of four and a half rebounds per game. That would be Harlan Ibioa. He's been able to do a solid job down low with six points, seven boards per contest. But with that said, I did set Niagara as a four and a half point favorite because I do like what they have in the backcourt. Ahmad Henderson, the second, has been able to come in as a freshman and he's been a takeover guy. About two and a half assists, 16 points per game on north of 40% three-point shooting. Obang Mensa comes in from UMBC with 10 points, four and a half boards per contest. You've got a defense that does a very good job of being able to just man up. And I do expect some positivity out of Kawan Marble moving forward as well. Marble during the 2020-21 season at Wyoming was able to put in their nine and a half points, four boards per contest. Last few seasons have been touch and go. Was over at Loyal Marymount. Clearly was not a good fit there. I do think that with his 6'5 versatility, he's going to be able to take the top off of defense. And I do like the upside of Luke Pumbelow as well. Two seasons ago at Ball State, he averaged 11 points on 36% three-point shooting. I do think that Niagara has some scores that St. Peter's just does not. I do think that the backcourt of Niagara leads the team to victory. I did set Niagara's 4.5 point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay this small number in. At a 124 or less, going to be taking a look at the over. 865-866 on the betting board is Quinnipiac. And they're going to be on the road facing off against Canisius. The Golden Griffins of Canisius are a 3.5 to a 4 point favorite. And your total on this game is there between 150.5 and 151. 
I did set my total at a 148, so I'm going to be taking a look at the under, and this is a spot where I'm going to be taking a look at Quinnipiac with the points. With Canisius, I have been highly impressed by this team thus far this season, but I do think that with Quinnipiac, they're going to be able to do a nice job down low. They bring in Richie Springs from UConn. He's been able to log about six rebounds per game. Matt Blonich is someone who has all sorts of versatility as well, has been shooting well north of 35% from three-point range over the last few seasons. He's been able to really pile up the points thus far this season, logging about 18 points per contest. He's able to do a solid job on the glass as well as Paul Otinho. So maybe we'll give you five and a half rebounds per game. Now, the top rebounder as a whole in this game, that'd be Canisius is Frank Mitchell. He has come in from the non-D1 ranks and He's logging 12 points, 10 boards. He's been absolutely incredible. And Trey Dinkins has an assist to turnover ratio that's starting near three. He's been able to throw out the ball to the man whose last name is very hard to say and see him. Utejendal, he comes over from overseas and he's been able to give you 14 points per contest for a Kenesha team that is currently shooting 39% from three-point range. I do think that we're going to see a little bit of fall off there, especially with them currently deal with Staj Stavetsky, who's currently out of the fold. You do lose Yako Fritz from last season for Kenesha as well, but Yori Fritz, his brother, he fills in as a six-foot-nine versatile player that's able to give you multiple assists, a steal and a half, four boards, doesn't necessarily score a ton, but he's been rock solid. But I take a look this Kenesha's team giving up nearly 14 turnovers per game. That's a little bit of a red flag. Quinnipiac does a little bit of a better job of being able to take care of the ball. But you also have for Quinnipiac really the top facilitator in this game. That'd be Savion Lewis. How about 8.2 assists per game? That is second in all of college basketball. Turning the ball over less than three times for contest. He's able to get the ball into all these guys' hands. And you've been able to notice the emergence as well of Amari Tice. He comes over from Wofford where he was a part-time starter and has really been able to make an impact as a six foot seven combo player. Chipping in there nearly two blocks, two seals, 11 half points, five boards. Just makes plays for this Quinnipiac team. Now with Quinnipiac, points a lot on a per possession basis has been a little bit rough for them, but they've been able to get things going with wins in four either last five games after they took a little bit of an L against UMass. Meanwhile, you've got a Canisius bunch that they themselves have been able to do a solid job with their offense, being able to score 70 plus in each of their last three games. But if you look at the competition that both of these teams have played, it's not necessarily been too terrific. And for Quinnipiac, defense has gotten much better as things have been going along as well, giving up 70 or fewer. And now three out of their last five games. I do think that this is going to be a game where both of these teams see their offensive efficiency go down just a touch, especially with Canisius with all that good three-point shooting. I did set that total at a 148, so here at a 150, going to be diving in on the under. Now the Quinnipiac won't take anything north of two with them. 867, 868 on the betting board. It is Little Rock playing out to Arkansas State. Arkansas State is a one and a half to a two point underdog. And your total between 159 and a half and 161. And with old Little Rock, I set them as a one and a half point underdog. I like Arkansas State outright on the money line. Such an intriguing battle between these two, but you've got a pair of teams that they have really been looking to gun it. I think that both of these teams are actually taken over by Alabama assistants. So both know each other very well, but I look at this Arkansas State team and I just love what this team has in the backcourt. Taryn Todd, Freddie Hicks are combining for 28 points, nine and a half boards, six assists, two steals, and Hicks is bombing it at 37.5% from three-point range. Now with Arkansas State, this defense is about as bad as Gasper the friendly ghost trying to play defense. There's been none of it at all, but 
You've got DeAndre Dominguez being able to chip in there as a six foot nine combo player, nine boards, twelve points. He's shooting in the low to mid thirties from three par inch, and then some of the holdovers from last season are impact guys as well. Fat Caleb Fields stole all three assists per game. I would like to see a little bit more out of Avery Feltz after a season ago. He shot thirty nine percent for three with eight points per contest. He's been a little bit more of an afterthought for the team, but they do go up against a Little Rock bunch, and they just have not been able to get who they were hoping would be the main rim protector out there on the floor, and that'd be Mikel Mitchell who was over at Arkansas last season, two seasons ago, was a part of the Mitchell Brother duo over there at Rhode Island. You got Kalen Robinson, who's bounced around college basketball, playing at Texas A&M, Arkansas. He's currently logging 19 points per game, but with Kalen Robinson, he's currently dealing with a little bit of an injury, and he's likely going to be out of the fold. He's missed each other the last two games. Now, Little Rock was able to win those two games without him, but yeah, do have your concerns on that front with this team, as now you're going to be looking to D'Antoni Gordon to really run the offense. He's been able to give you about 17 points, five boards per contest. Jameer Chaplin does a good job of being able to grab boards as well, but really, outside of what you've been able to get in terms of the 38% three-point shooting from Cougar Downing, who has come in from the non-Division one level, and he's been able to be a really nice outside shooter. You don't have a ton of that for this Little Rock team. They take care of the ball with about 11.5 turnovers per game, but Robinson was really that do-it-all floor general for this team, and Without him, this Arkansas State team is really looking to push tempo. I think that they're going to be able to get their pace. I do think that they're going to make my life miserable in general for this old Little Rock team. And I do think that Arkansas State, playing against a Little Rock team that is dealing with their top score right now, being out of the fold, is able to get the job done. I sent Arkansas State as a one-and-a-half point favorite. I'm looking at them out right on the money line. And did set my total at 161.5. Here at 159.5, 161. Going to be taking a look at the over in a game that I think is going to be very up and down to go along with Arkansas State. All right, on the money line, 869, 870 on the betting board. It is UAB and the Blazers. Playoffs to Southern Miss. Southern Miss is an underdog of 8 to 8.5 points with your total between 141.5 and 142. And with Southern Miss, I did set them as an underdog of 6.5 points. I am going to be one to take these points with Southern Miss. They are still currently without Andre Carbello, and I will continue to say it. Them not having Andre Carbello out there on the floor, not necessarily the world's worst thing. You've got Austin Crowley. I like the way that he's able to operate in this offense. 17 points, 3.5 assists per game. And for Southern Miss, they do a good job of being able to win the ball control battle. They generate 9.5 steals per game while they themselves only turn the ball over about 11.7 times per game. It is a Southern Miss bunch at shooting about 32% from three-par range, though Donovan Ivory, he's really been the saving grace in terms of their outside shooting. 14 points per game for the UW-Green Bay transfer. Five boards, shooting 46.5% from three-par range. But I do think that this team is going to be able to hold up down low. You don't get a ton of rebounds out of Victor Iwakar, but he comes over from UNLV. He's been a nice shot blocker with about a block and a half per contest. They go up against a UAB bunch at last year, Trey Jemison was really able to make an impact down low. Now, he's out of the fold, so they've been looking a lot to one JV on Davis to be able to really hold it down down low. Last year, six points, four boards. He's really had to turn into that rim protector for this team with about eight rebounds per game, and it is a UAB team that they lose their top scorer in Jordan Jelly Walker from a season ago. I like the guys that they brought in from the junior college level, as you've got Yaxel Lenborg and Alejandro Vasquez. Don't call their name. You're, they're, they're able to give you about 18 points per contest. Lenborg is able to give you about 7 boards per game, but this is a UAB team that they don't have the shooting that they did a season ago. They've got one guy on the roster that's currently shooting north of 30% from 3 power range and Ephraim Johnson. So he'll shoot about 36.5% from 3. Now, I do think that it'll get better than their 25.5% 3 point shooting, especially with Daniel Ortiz getting more minutes. My season over at North Alabama shot 41% from the outside, but Southern Miss team really does hang their head on defense. 
It's been a little bit more touch and go for them thus far this season, but I do think that's going to be kicking up a little bit. This team does a nice job of being able to generate turnovers, and for a U of E team that's a little bit out of sorts in the backcourt with so many losses from a season ago, I do think that this is a... Southern Miss team that's going to be able to hold in this game and I do think that this game is going to be slightly more up-tempo as well. I think that this game is going to be close enough for some late-game fouling so did semi total 144 and a half looking over and at seven or more take the points with Southern Miss. 871-872 on the betting board. DePaul is going to be playing us Iowa State. Iowa State finds themselves as favorites of 12 to 12 and a half points and your totals between 139 and 139 and a half. George Mikan is right now rolling over in his grave about this DePaul team and I set them as 14 point underdogs. I recognize it in step up games that Iowa State has been having a little bit of a tough time with better competition. This is not better competition. This is not better competition at all. I mean, this is a DePaul team that's right now 1-5. and five. It's really sad to see where they have fallen. The only team they've knocked off thus far this season is South Dakota. Losses to Fort Wayne, Northern Illinois, South Carolina, Long Beach State, San Francisco. Good grief. These guys stink. You've got Chico Carter, who's been able to shoot about 37% from three, 13 half points per game. He was at South Carolina season ago. He's a very good three-point shooter, but you've got nothing down low. Like, you've got Jeremiah Odin, who comes in from Wyoming, and he was a fine player at Wyoming, but I mean, he wasn't even Wyoming's best player a season ago. He's leading the way with 4.3 rebounds per game. Like, this is a complete lack of size. I recognize that they were expecting Mac ATN to be out there on the floor, but you knew about his injury history. You needed a little bit more than that, and it's just really sad in general. They brought in Caleb Murphy, who they thought was going to be able to elevate the offense. That has not been the case, and for DePaul, I really have my question marks about them holding on to the ball against an Iowa State team that still won the tops in all of college basketball in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. They're one of the best teams at pickpocketing as well. And for DePaul, 14.3 turnovers per game. Now, Iowa State, you knew that there would be a little bit of regression with their offense. Going into that ESPN event, they were shooting like well north of 38% from three-point range. They're now shooting about 31.5% from distance. But they do take care of the ball with just 10 turnovers per game. Damon Lipsby has now been able to give you 16 points per game. He plays in tandem with Milan Mela Silovic, who's been really solid with about 14 points per contest. Mimla Silovic has been able to shoot 45% from three at Lipsby. Six boards, six assists, three seals per game. He is just the ultimate point guard, one of the best in all of college basketball. You've also got Keyshawn Gilbert, who's only shooting 24% from three. That'll be rising up. He's a good go-to scorer. And this Iowa State team, they're generating 12 seals per game. I think Iowa State is going to rip the ball away left and right for DePaul. And I think that DePaul gets completely stonewalled in this game. I set my total at 130 just simply because I don't think that DePaul does their part with the total. And I think that this is going to be a point where DePaul's not going to be able to get to 60. So I'm diving in on the under with Iowa State. Willing to lay up to 13.5 with them. 873, 874 on the betting board. It is Towson, and they're going to be playing at South Dakota State from the Sanford Pentagon as South Dakota State, a three and a half to a four point favorite. Totals between 131 and 132. This is officially a neutral court game, but I mean, this is in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. This is pretty much a home game for South Dakota State, and I did set them as a six point favorite. As a result, I am going to be willing to lay it with them. This Towson team is actually dead last in the country in terms of total possessions per game. They're playing slower than Virginia right now. Towson is never really a super up tempo team but I mean, Pat Scary has a team playing at a scary slow tempo and for Towson, man, 
This offense really has not been able to get online. This Tulsa team has yet to be able to break the 70-point plateau. They got to approximately 70 against against Compensate earlier in the season, but they have no backcourt. Charles Thompson is solid down low. He's able to give you 9.5 points, 5.5 boards, block for contest, nice rim protector, but who's doling out the ball? Right now, you're looking at true freshman Dylan Williamson to be one of your main floor generals. You've been able to get about 11.5 points per game out of Tyler Tejado, who had 6'8 as a true freshman and shot in the mid-30s from three-point range, but South Dakota State is going to absolutely eat them alive with their guard play. Zeke Mayo is one of the most versatile mid-major players in all of college basketball. You name it, he does it. 7.5 boards, 3.5 assists, a steal, 18.5 points per game. Shoots in the high 30s from three-point range, typically only shooting about 33% thus far this season, but they've got easily one of the most efficient shooters out there on the floor, and Charlie Easley, who he's been able to log about 12 points per contest, shooting 48% from three-point range out. Take caution in their game against a non-D1 team against Mount Marty. Whenever I hear Mount Marty, I just picture a like really tall guy named Marty eating a big giant pizza all by himself or something like that, but you did miss that game. I think he should be good to go in this one. That sounded like it was a little bit more precautionary, but you do want to be taking note there, but Luke Capel has been able to shoot 54% from three. South Dakota State, they're always able to bomb it from three. They're shooting 39% from three. The key is not turning the ball over, and they're only turning it over right around 12 times per game. They're going up against a Towson team that really doesn't generate a lot of turnovers at five per contest. I do think that this is going to be a game that gets slowed down a little bit more, but I do think that South Dakota State, they are able to light it up from three-point range, and as we know, South Dakota State, typically they give up some points as well. Even against Mount Marty, they gave up points as in their games against C1 competition. The South Dakota State team has given up 70-plus in all but one of them, so I do think that Thompson's going to get a little bit more online with their offense, but I do think that in the end, South Dakota State gets the job done. And with this being a neutral court game, you always want to take note as to whether or not you're going to be seeing a little bit of a weird shooter's eye or something like that. Same for Pentagon games, in my opinion. Actually provide a very good shooter's eye. So looking at the over semi total 138 and South Dakota State, one to lay up to five and a half with them. 875, 876 on the betting board. It is Purdue. They hit the road face off against Northwestern. Northwestern is a underdog of 7.5 to 8 points. In your total, it is 138 to 138.5 with Northwestern. I did set them as an underdog of 7.5 points. 8 is the minimum that I'm willing to take, but I'm willing to take them. We saw it with Purdue last season. They won so many Big Ten games, but they really didn't cover too many of these games on the road because they were like nip and tuck like two-point, four-point wins, and this is a Northwestern team that has really slowed it down. They are in the bottom 10 in all of college basketball in terms of total possessions per game, and they've been really stinking efficient with regards to their defense as well. This is a Northwestern team that turns the points a lot on a per-possession basis. Currently, they are a top 40 team in all of college basketball. Grand, they have played against some lesser competition, and as we know, this is a Purdue team that with giant of the year, Zach Eady, averaging a double-double being the player of the year, averaging multiple blocks per game. They're certainly going to have their hands full there as Purdue. They're currently clocking in 16th of the country in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis. I do think that the big key for Northwestern, trying to just limit the ability of Braden Smith. Smith has been awesome this year. 13 points, 6 boards, 6 assists. He's taken that freshman to sophomore leave. Fletcher Lawyer, he's been a little bit better than last season. Would like to see a little bit more than 10 points per game, but he knows his role with this offense, so he's been fine. Mason Gillis is a guy with size that's able to pop some threes on Purdue. They're currently shooting 42.8% from three-point range. I thought they would be a better shooting team than a season ago, but I like Purdue last year shot 32.5% from three. It's going to be coming downward a little bit. This is a Northwestern team that traditionally 
guards the arc pretty well and with Northwestern as well. What you like about this team is that they don't get out of sorts. They are one of the best teams at taking care of the ball in all of college basketball. 8.8 turnovers per game. In terms of turnovers per possession, they were a top three team in college basketball last season. You've got the dynamic duo of Ty- Barry along with Boo Booey back to full. Boo Booey, three and a half assists, 18 and a half points per game, shooting 40% from three. Barry shooting 38 and a half percent from the outside, nine and a half points per game. And then this Northwestern team, they're going to lose a battle down low, but Brooks Barnheiser at right around about six foot seven. He just makes impact plays, 15 points, eight boards, two and a half assists. They're going to look to mix and match down low, but I do think that the Liberty transfer in Blake Preston has been a really good glue guy. He's really been effective on the defensive end as well, and I do think that this is going to be a low-scoring slog. I think that Northwestern takes care of the ball. I think that they have a tough time putting the ball in the basket, but I do think that Northwestern going to guard the perimeter well. I think that we see some regression with this Purdue three-point shooting, and thus, I set my total at 129.5. I'm going to be diving in on the under end at eight or more. I'm going to be taking the points with Northwestern. 877-878 on the betting board. It is UConn and they play us to Kansas. Kansas is a two to two and a half point favorite. The total between 147 half and 148 and in terms of this UConn team, I feel like they should be the favorite. I said the men's two and a half point favorite, so I'm going to be taking them out right on the money line. With regards to this Kansas bunch, they just feel like they have some misfit pieces on their team right now, and they need a little bit more support for their big three. Hunter Dickinson, you know what he's going to be able to bring you. 20 and 10, he'll give you a block or two per contest. He's able to pop it from three-point range. He has been tremendous. You need Dewan Harris to give you a little bit more scoring. There are just times where he puts in there like two or three points in a game. It's like, man... I recognize you want to be a pass-first guy, and you do a very good job as a pass-first guy, but you need to have the defense respect your shot just a little bit. So that's something that I do take a look at. And then you've obviously got Kevin McCullough. He just finds a way to impact the game. He doesn't necessarily do one thing amazing, but 18 points, 7.5 boards, 5.5 assists per game. He just finds a way to be able to give you some winning plays, but you need Marco Jackson along with... Johnny Furphy to be able to step up. They both have been able to give you about five and a half points per game. And for Jackson, he has been able to help out with throwing out the ball a little bit. But this is a Kansas team that they're turning the ball over about 13 and a half times per game. And this involves games against NC Central, Manhattan, Chaminade, Eastern Illinois. I know that they played some tough competition, but they've played some real cupcakes as well. UConn, they certainly have played their cupcakes as well. But when UConn has had these step-up games, they've responded every single time. They host Indiana. They win by 10 against Texas. So they have me quite impressed right now. This is a UConn team that has someone in Donovan Klingon that only plays about 20 minutes per game. But in 20 minutes per game, he gives you 15 points, 6 boards, multiple blocks per contest. And then how about the versatility of Tristan New? He can go off for a triple-double on any given night. Eight boards, seven assists, 15 and a half points per game. Cam Spencer is so efficient. He's had one of the best assisted turnover ratios in all of college basketball. Even with Stefan Castle out of the fold, this team has not missed a beat because you've had the likes of Hassan Diario be able to step up. This is a UConn team that is deep. They've got size. Alex Caravan is able to light it up from three. He's able to do a good job on the glass. And for Kansas, feels like they're just a little bit too top-heavy while UConn has a better overall collective. I know how difficult it is going to the fog and win, but I'm going to take UConn in this spot. I really don't like what I'm seeing out of this Kansas team. I'm taking UConn outright on the money line. So I told 144.5. UConn is looking like one of the best defenses in all of college basketball. And Kansas has been a little bit out of sorts with their turnover. So diving in on the under and Kansas outright on the money line. 879-880 on the betting board. It is Wyoming in the road faceoff against Portland. Portland is a favorite of 2.5 points. Your totals between 149.5 and 150.5. And, and with Wyoming, I did set them as an underdog of 1.5 points. So being able to get two or more, I am going to be willing to take these points. 
with Wyoming. They do have Sam Griffin, who's able to be a nice do-it-all scorer for this team. Comes in from Tulsa, where Tulsa was just absolutely abysmal last season, but he got his numbers as he last year at about 15 points per contest. Now he's logging 19 points per game. I fully expect there to be a drop-off with his 48% three-point shooting, but the one thing this Wyoming team really needs to do a better job of is taking care of the ball. How about 15 and a half turnovers per contest? Griffin has been able to give you about three assists per game, but the concern here is a cool cut. He has come up from the non-Division one ranks, and he's given you 14 and a half points and three assists per game. I still remember there was a game out there in the great state of South Carolina a few weeks ago. He had like eight turnovers in 30 minutes. He's having north of three of them per contest. That's a little bit unsightly. You don't necessarily have a ton of rebounding for this Wyoming team. Been able to get about eight points per contest out of Cam Mainwau. Hopefully I said that correctly, but they go up against a Portland team that they themselves, outside of Tyler Harris, have not necessarily gotten a ton on the glass. And I do think that we're going to see some regression for Harris. 15 half points, 9 boards. He's shooting 59% from 3-point range. And Portland, they themselves have had their turnover woes. Right around 14 half per contest. Love Tyler Robertson. 18 points, 5.5 assists. He has been in the Shantae Leggins system for darn near 5 years now. So he's a veteran that he knows exactly what he needs to do with his team. And you do have a Wyoming team that has cranked up their tempo a little bit more. A mid-tempo team after a last season. They were playing quite slowly. Portland has throttled it back a little bit as well, but they're still right around about 100th in terms of total possessions per game. The big question is, will Chris Austin get back to what he was two seasons ago? Mitch, all of last season, due to injury two years ago, was logging 14.5 points per game. Wasn't a great three-point shooter, but it was able to give you about two assists per game as well. For Chris Austin, he has had a grand total of 24 points in the last four games with 16 of them coming against the non-Division one team and Will Lamett. So in his last three games against D1 competition, he has scored eight points. That's a big giant issue for this team because that means that you need to get quite a bit more out of Vasile Vusanovic, who comes over from Montenegro. He's been able to give you about six points, five rebounds per game. And then Vusan Masic, the transfer from Maine, he's been able to shoot about 45% from three. But again, not really sustainable. Got a pair of teams that they don't necessarily rip the ball away, but both of these teams have been quite inefficient in terms of taking care of the ball. And I do think that Wyoming has the best player out there on the floor in Griffin. So I did set my total 145 and a half. I think things get sloppy. I'm t- taking a look at the under. And with Wyoming, Getting two or more going to be won't take the points with them. 881-882 on the betting board. Cal State Fullerton plays host in North Dakota. North Dakota is a 4.5 to a 5-point underdog with your total between 140.5 and 141.5. And with Fullerton, I did set them as a favorite of 6.5 points. I'm going to be one to lay this number for Fullerton. They did go through quite a few moving parts from a season ago, but I do think that they still have enough to be able to take down a North Dakota team that, very surprisingly, they have gotten off to a 6-1 and one start. Granted, it's been against a few non-D1 teams. Eastern Michigan, they needed overtime to knock off New Orleans. They go on the road, they knock off Pacific, but Pacific stinks. So, do have your question marks there with this North Dakota team. It's been all about what you've been able to get out of your main two. BJ Omada has been able to give you 17 plus points per game. And then Trayson Eaglesaf. How about 16 points and two and a half assists out of him? Omad is able to chip in their five boards, but it is a North Dakota team that is currently shooting 27% from three point range. We had one guy be able to give you north of five and a half rebounds per game. Omar Kilajovic, he has come in. He's been able to give the team right around eight rebounds per game, but the team is a little bit rudderless with the way that they're doing out the ball. Eli King has only been able to give you about two and a half assists per game after transferring in from Iowa State. Meanwhile, for this Fullerton team, Dominic Bruton, the transfer from Alcorn State, 
He's made a nice impact on this offense. He doesn't shoot it well from three, but he does everything else well. He gives you multiple steals per contest. He doles out the ball with three and a half assists per game, four and a half boards. He gives you 12 points. You are going to need more outside shooting for this Fullerton team as they've been shooting about 28.5% from three, but Max Jones, I do think, is the best scorer in this game. 18.5 points. He was a double-figure scorer a season ago. He's gotten a little bit better on the defensive end, and I do think that you get more down low out of Vincent Lee moving forward. Lee has been in the system for a very long time. Like, there was a time where he was more of a 10.6 rebound per game scorer. He, two seasons ago, had a little bit of a drop-off in his playing time, and from there, he just really hasn't been able to refine it, but I do think that he is going to be able to do so this season. This is a Fullerton team that they're pretty much going with 10 separate guys, giving you at least 10 or so minutes per game, especially Grayson Carper, who's been able to give you about six and a half rebounds per game. I do think that Fullerton is going to be able to do a better job on the glass, and this is a North Dakota team that is just not dialing it up from three-point range. That's really been the Achilles heel of Fullerton thus far this season, so I think that this is just in general a bad matchup for North Dakota. I'm going to be willing to lay it with a Fullerton team that's looking to play quite a bit more up-tempo this season, and for North Dakota, thus far, the defense has looked better than it has in past seasons. That said, if you look at the competition that they have played, it's been absolutely awful, and you've got a Fullerton team that's been getting cooked on defense recently themselves as they have given up 72 plus points in all but one of their games against C1 competition. So did somebody total 115.5 diving in on the over and I'm going to be willing to lay up to 6 with Fullerton. 883 884 on the betting board. BYU plays us at Fresno State. Fresno State is an underdog of 14 to 15 points and your total is anywhere between 143.5 and 144. I set BYU as a favorite of 17 points. Going to be willing to lay this summer with both of these teams. I do think we're going to see a little bit of a fall off from three-point range as both of these teams have been absolutely unconscious. Got a Fresno State team that was one of the worst teams in all of college basketball from three-point range eight seasons ago. They're now shooting about 34.5% from three-point range. We've seen Xavier Dussel after he was shooting like 50% from three to begin the season take a little bit of a fall off, but still has been able to give you 10 points per game. Has been solid coming in from Wyoming, but the big key is for Fresno State, they've got to win the battle on the glass. You've got Emmanuel Boyke along with Eduardo Andre 3000 being able to combine for about 14 and a half rebounds per game. They're not necessarily supreme scores, but they do a solid job down low. And then Isaiah Hill, while he's been able to give out 6.3 assists per game, it's been the turnovers that have really been costly for him, nearly three per contest. And as a whole, Fresno State, 15.3 turnovers per game. Last year, BYU had their turnover woes, and granted, it hasn't been necessarily the world's greatest competition that BYU has played against, but they've really cut down on those with about 11.7 per game, and right now BYU is shooting 38.5% from three-point range. Jackson Robinson, Noah Waterman, these are guys with great versatility. Both are north of six foot seven. Both are combined to shoot north 42% from three-point range, and Waterman, so they will give you about seven rebounds per game. I was mentioning that Fresno State needs to win the battle down low against Fusani Treyer. I just don't think that that's going to be the case. He's got versatility, but he still does a good job hammering the glass with about five and a half rebounds per game and then Spencer Johnson. He's not necessarily a primary scorer with about 11 points per game, but he just does it all. Five and a half boards, five and a half assists. He's going to shoot better from three-point range as well. Currently, he's shooting 29% from three-point range. He sees ago. Shot 46% from three-point range. And then you've got a nice rim protector and Atiki Ali Atiki. He's six foot ten. He gives you five boards. Doesn't necessarily give you a lot of scoring, but BYU's right now checking all the boxes. They're in the top 25 in terms of both points scored and points allowed on a per-possession basis. This team has been able to get to a at least 77 points in each of their last four games, all while giving up 65 points or fewer in four of their last five. We got a Fresno State team that's really starting to take a dive in regards to their offense. They did have that overtime game against New Mexico State, or else 
may be staring at in four out of their last five games, scoring 70 points or fewer. So I do think that's a good old situation of something he's got to give, but I do think that this is going to be some BYU domination. I do think that BYU could say Fresno State team has had a little bit of a tough time guarding from the perimeter. So I did set my toe at 145, looking at the over, and with BYU, one to lay up to 16.5 with them, 885, 886 on the betting board. UC San Diego is playing host to San Diego State. San Diego State is a favorite of 14 points, and your total is saying between 142 and 143 and a half. Did set my total at 139 and a half. I think San Diego State is going to start to throttle down a little bit more with regards to their tempo. I feel like we have seen that in their last few games. They get pushed to overtime against Cal, a game in which they gave up just 67 points in that. Against Old Point Loma, D2 University, they did a really nice job on defense there, giving up just 51 points. And that's just the way that San Diego State needs to operate. I know that it's fun to be able to score a bunch of points, but I think that they've tried it the last two non-conference slates, and they get into a lot of trouble when they do play these high-scoring, up-tempo games. Meanwhile, you've got a UC San Diego team that they themselves just really not putting the ball in the basket for UC San Diego. They've been able to break the 70-point plateau against two Division One teams, and one of those games was against Denver, who really doesn't play any defense whatsoever. Now, I will say with UC San Diego, Bryce Pope is a nice go-to score. 19 points per game, shooting 37.5% from three-point range, and now you're Getting back in the fold, Emmanuel Shaminga, and that is big. He missed the first five or six games of the season. Last season, he was able to give the team seven plus boards per contest coming in from UC Irvine. That offers a lot of support down low because they do have some nice versatility. You've got Francis Noworke, who's been able to give you about four boards, shoots in the low to mid-30s from three-point range. J. Ron Brooks is finally healthy after he began his career out there for a pair of Pac-12 teams in Washington and USC. Thus far, then a little bit of a disappointment, giving you only about six and a half points per contest. And then you take a look at what you're able to get on the flip side for the San Diego State team. Right now, you've got one of the top scorers in all of college basketball, and Jaden Ledee. How about a double double for him? 24 points, 10 and a half boards. He's able to pop threes at six foot nine. That's not necessarily his forte, but he's been coming along as a defensive stopper as well. Reese Six of Waters has been really the main scorer in the backcourt, as still have Micah Parrish, Lamont Butler, Darian Trammell from a season ago, and how silent Darion Trammell has been has been striking as well. He missed a game earlier in the season, and I'm starting to think he's not 100%. He's averaging six points and three and a half assists per game this season. He's still been fine on defense, but I do think that there might be a little bit of something wrong with him as of right now. You've got Micah Parrish as well, who's a very good three-point shooter, but all in all for the San Diego State team. They shoot in the mid-30s from three-point range. They're just not a supremely offensive team. I do think that they're realizing that getting back to basics, slowing down is what's best for them, and they're going up against the San Diego team that is a pretty mid-tempo team. So I did set my total 139.5. I think that San Diego State is getting back to their roots. I do think that this 14 number is just a little bit too high because I do think that Emmanuel Shaminga coming back in the fold is big for this UC San Diego team. So it is a spot where I did set my line at a 13.5, 14 or more willing to take the points with UC San Diego and dive it in on the under. This is last game on the normal Las Vegas betting board before we hit the extra games. 887, 888. This is a neutral court game between Boise State and St. Mary's. So it's being played out there in the great state of Idaho for Boise State. They're a three and a half to four point underdog with your total between 130 and a half and 131. I set St. Mary's as just a one and a half point favorite. I am going to be willing to take the points with Boise State. Like I said, they are playing this as what is anti-air quotes here, a neutral court game, but 
They're playing in their home state. There are going to be a lot of Boise State fans that are going to be in the stands. And both of these teams have just been disappointing to this point. You've got a Boise State team that's looking to life without Marcus Shaver. He was the main facilitator a season ago. Really didn't light it up from three-point range, but made so many impact plays for this team. And then for St. Mary's, they lost a few ancillary pieces from a season ago. But this offense has just been broken. Now, the good news for St. Mary's is they haven't been able to get to the 70-point plateau in each of their last two games. But... It's the same Mary's bunch that overall this season, they're shooting 31% from three. They had their free throw issues last season, and this year, that's very prevalent. They're shooting 65.5% at the free throw line with three out of their top four scores, shooting 66.7% or worse now with the St. Mary's team. They're also still doing a good job on the glass. Mitchell Saxon has been able to give you about nine boards, nine and a half points per game, and then you get more like six and a half rebounds and nine and a half points per game out of Joshua Jefferson. But other than Ada Mahaney, you don't have anyone else that's really giving you north of 15 points per contest. It's been touch and go. Though you've been able to get out Mason Forbes as well. You're looking for a little bit more in the backcourt as well. Out of Augustus, Marisolinas, who in a small sample size last season was really able to do a nice job of generating some turnovers. Meanwhile, for Boise State, this is once again a bit of a top-heavy team that they're going to need Tyson Dagenhart to really go into takeover mode. 13 points, 5 boards as far as the season while shooting under 30% from 3. They need him to really be able to kick it into high gear. And you just need a bit more out of Omar Stanley as well. I like him as a player, but I didn't feel like he was the world's greatest fit with the system at six foot eight. He shot 45.5% last season at St. John's, but it was in a very small sample size. Thus far, he's shooting like 25% from three-point range. The higher usage has clearly been affecting him a little bit. And the biggest thing for this Boise State team is you really don't have a point guard right now. The only guy that's giving you north of two assists per game is six foot nine Cam Martin, who he's been solid as they do it all sort of player. Eight and a half points, six and a half boards, two and a half assists per contest. So it's not like he's doing a bad job by any stretch of the imagination. And it almost feels like what you were getting about two or three years ago. I remember two to three years ago, that a guy that just went in there, he did everything very, very well for the team. And Melody Armis, he's sort of looking like him as of right now. But I do think that for this Boise State team, they hold in there against the St. Mary's team that's really scuffled on offense. Boise State is scuffling on offense as well. These are two very slow-tempo teams. They're going to be playing on a neutral court. This is from the Mountain America Center as in Idaho Falls, Falls, Idaho. So I do think that you get a slog in this game. And I made St. Mary's a very, very slight favorite of one and a half points. So getting north of three, taking the points with Boise State in their home state. Semi-total 127 half. So also diving in on the under. And now we hit the extra games. The normal betting board picks are complete, but there are some extra games today. So we go into the bonus. 306 609 30610. Bethune Cookman is going to be playing us Incarnate Word. The Word finds themselves as a one and a half point favorite in your totals between 148 and a half and 149. I set Bethune Cookman as a three point favorite. I'm going to be willing to take Bethune Cookman outright on the money line. I actually like what I've seen of this Bethune Cookman team, and what I really like about this team is Zion Harmon. Harmon is a former top 200 recruit that has really become a nice go to scorer for the team as he's been able to chuck in there about 15 plus points per contest. And they've got a guy in Damani McIntyre that literally has more steals than he's got points as far as the season. I can't remember the last time I've ever seen anything quite like it, but I mean, all he does is come up with turnovers. This guy thus far this season has been able to give you about three and a half points, three and a half boards, and three and a half steals per game, while shooting 36% from three-point range, might I add. So that's been very intriguing, and with Zion Armin, he now has a little bit more help out there in the backcourt. Jacoby 
Heaty, he's been able to come in and has been a nice six foot six combo player that's been shooting about 36% for three, 14 points per contest. This is a Cookman team as as a whole is only shooting about 30.5% for three, and they're going to be had down low. You've got nobody that's really giving you north of five and a half rebounds per game, but you're now getting back Derek Carter Hollinger, someone who two seasons ago at Montana he was shooting like 44% from three as a six foot six, a little bit of a combo player. Incarnate Word, they're going to have the most versatile player in this game. That'll be Sky Wicks. He has been amazing, 20 points, seven boards, two and a half assists began his career at Missouri State, went down to the non-D1 ranks, has resurfaced and has been absolutely awesome, but where are you going to be able to get outside of him is the question, and right now you've got Sean Robinson making some nice contributions after he was at Austin P last season where he shot in the mid-30s from three-point range, logged about 10 points, four boards per contest, but this is a top-heavy team that doesn't have anyone outside that giving you really north of 4.3 rebounds per game and for incarnate word, much like Bethune-Cookman, turnover issues. 15 turnovers per contest. You don't have either of these teams really playing a lick of defense as of right now for our good friends Incarnate Word in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. This is a team that's clocking in about 265th for Bethune-Cookman. It's 235th, but with Cookman, they do a much better job of being able to generate turnovers. I think that that is going to be the key. Incarnate Word as a better overall player in terms of the raw stats and Sky Wicks, but I do think that Hartman does a better job of leading his team and leads them to a victory. So, going to be taking a look at Bethune-Cookman outright on the money line, set them as a three-point favorite. I do think that this is going to be a sloppier game involving a pair of teams that don't really shoot it well from three. So I did sell my total at 145. Diving in on the under and going to be taking a look at Cookman outright on the money line. 306611, 306612. VCU plays us in Norfolk State. Norfolk State is anywhere between a 12.5 to a 13-point underdog. And your total is anywhere between 136 to 137.5. VCU has a 10-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to take the points with Norfolk State. This team needs to get back to basics with their defense because that's what really led them to the NCAA tournament in recent years, and for Norfolk State, I do think that they're doing that with bringing in the UNC Wilmington transfer and Jamari Thomas to lead the way. Right around four assists, 18 points per contest on 45% three-point shooting. has been able to eat up as well. The Norfolk State team has 10.5 seals per game. He's responsible for two and a half of them, while Norfolk State also is keeping care of the ball with only about 11.5 turnovers per game. It's not a Norfolk State team that is really going to be running it and gunning it. Meanwhile, for VCU, I do think that they're going to be looking to crank up their tempo in the coming days and coming weeks as they've got Ryan Odom that comes in from Utah State. This just doesn't feel like Ryan Odom basketball with VCU being 305th in the country. In terms of total possessions per game, I was talking about Norfolk State wanting to be a little bit more of a controlled team. They're more around 245th in the country. In terms of total possessions per game for Norfolk State, they don't really have a ton down low. They've got one guy that's giving you earth of four rebounds per game and doesn't even have tremendous size in Jelani Darden, who's right around 6'5". He's been able to give you about seven rebounds per game, so that's going to be an edge for VCU, but it's not like they do an amazing job down low either. You've got Zeb Jackson, who's been able to give you five and a half boards per contest, along to Bu Lowell, who comes over from England. Really past that, you don't have anyone else that's really been able to give you north of five and a half rebounds per game. It's a VCU team that's turning the ball over 15 times per game as they're having to look to Max Shoga to do it all. Max Shoga is an amazing player. Five boards, right around four and a half assists, 16 and a half points per game on 40% three-point shooting, but he just needs a little bit more help, especially in the front court. The team doesn't generate steals the way that they did under Mike Rhodes as well, and I do think that for Norfolk State, they're going to be able to win that turnover battle, which will keep them very lively in this game against a VCU team that they've been struggling quite a bit with their offense, scoring 64 points or fewer in three of their last four games. Meanwhile, you've got a Norfolk State team that 
they themselves may have been having a little bit of a tough time on offense as they have scored fewer than 70 and four out of their last five games as well. But I do think that both of these teams are going to be able to get it going just a little bit more. I think that VCU is looking to crank up that tempo. So I did set my total at a 140 looking at the over. And with Norfolk State, anything north of 10, I'm going to be taking a look at the points. 3 of 6, 6, 13, 3 of 6, 6, 14. We've got Brown. And what can Brown do for you? Well, if they win by north of three points against Bryant, they might be able to make you money. Brown is between a three and four point favorite at home against Bryant. And your total is anywhere between 147 and 147 and a half. Except Brown is a three point favorite. Seeing three and a half and fours pop up, I am going to be willing to take the points with Bryant. Bryant certainly got a bit fortunate when they played against Florida Atlantic that Florida Atlantic could not hit a shot to save their lives, but this is a legitimately good Bryant team that has been playing much slower under Phil Martelli Jr. They've got that featured guy in Sharif Gross-Bullock, 19.6 boards, 3 assists, shooting 40% from 3-point range, and Rafael Pinzone, who comes over from St. John's, he's shooting north of 40% from distance as well. What I like about this team as well, they're featuring more guys as well under... Jared Grosso, they were going with like a seven-man rotation, even though they brought in like a billion guys via the transfer portal. Now they've got eight different guys logging at least 11 minutes per contest, seven different guys giving you at least 16 minutes per game, and I think that that's for the best for this team, especially with what you're now able to get down low out of something like a Daniel Rivera who's been able to give you seven rebounds per game. Earl Timberlake is bringing Sexy back with 12 points, nine boards, five assists. He has been a nice set. He's suffering. They go up against a Brown team that, if you look at the metrics, they've been one of the more unlucky teams in all of college basketball. Got a pair of guys down low, Nana Owusu Anane along Khalil Enya, who have been able to combine for about 14 and a half rebounds per game. But for this Brown team, last year they were more of a mid-tempo team, really got after it on defense. They've sped up to not the good of themselves. This is a Brown team that they are now in the top 100 in terms of total possessions per game, and I think it's for the worst. You've had Keno Lilly Jr. be a nice score with 20 points per game. Last year shot 39.9% from three. That's down to about 34.5% from three, and with them cranking up the tempo, I just feel like they're less efficient on the defensive end. They're less efficient on the offensive end. I do think that Brown is looking themselves in the mirror, and they're saying that. I think that for Bryant, they're going to continue to play a little bit more slowly than they did under Mr. Grasso, which is going to keep the scoring under control. I do think that Brown is going to be able to lock down a little bit more with their defense, but I do think that Bryant holds in there, and I do think that Brown, in a little bit of a nip and tuck game, they get the job done at home, but not by margin. Set my line at three, so getting forward, taking the points with Bryant, and with my total set it at a 143, so also looking at the under. The final game in Hampton versus Maryland Eastern Shore got canceled, so this is going to be the last game. 3-6-6-15, 3-6-6-16. LSU is going to be playing us to Southeast Louisiana. By the way, Hampton, Maryland Eastern Shore postponed, not canceled, so just wanted to make that distinction, but that said with Southeast Louisiana, they are a 14-point underdog with your total line between 145.5 and 147.5 with LSU. Made them a 15-point favorite, so I'm going to be one to lay the 14 with them. For Southeast Louisiana, this team has been catching my eye a little bit, and I do think that they are real contenders out there in the Southland along with McNeese, but you've got a Southeast Louisiana team that I think that they're going to have a tough time dealing with the 7-foot size of Will Baker. Will Baker has all sorts of versatility, 14.5 points, right around 5.5 to 6 boards. He's able to pop threes. Sometimes can be a little bit of a defensive liability, and for this LSU team, the biggest key for them, they need to find a way to take better care of the ball. The 14 turnovers per game has been a little bit unsightly for LSU. They were really relying upon the two-lane transfer who actually began his career over at LSU and Jalen Cook to run the show. He has been ineligible, so Trey Annable, Jordan Wright, these have been guys that have really had to run the show, and that's been a little bit of an issue. You just have not been able to get a lot out of Jamie on Collins as well. Collins began his career over at Kentucky where he was a like top 50 recruit. He's come in, and 
He's laid a turd thus far with about five points per game, but with the Southeast Louisiana team, they just don't have a lot down low. You've been able to have Roger McFarlane be a 6.05 Mr. Do-It-All Swiss Army Knife guy. Six boards, 15 points per game, shooting 38% from three-point range. And then you've got Brody Woodbury, who down low is able to give you about five rebounds per game, but this Southeast Louisiana team, they do turn the ball over a little bit as well with 13 after and over three game. I do like Roxco Eastmont as a primary ball handler for this team. Right around four and a half assists per game. He makes some good, solid plays. And Alec Woodyard is able to shoot 40% from three-point range. But LSU, even though they are a little bit of a liable team with regards to outside three-point shooting defense, they are a team that I think is going to be able to light it up a little bit more on offense. They just had Murphy's Law hit them in that game against Syracuse where they could not hit water if they fell out of a boat. They went 2 of 22 from three-point range. Just an outlier shooting night for them, and I do expect a little bit more moving forward out of Carlos Stewart, who's only been able to give you five points per game. Last year at Santa Clara, he had 15 points per game, shot north of 40% from three-point range. I think that he's going to be in a little bit more rhythm. I feel like an LSU team that they had to adjust a little bit on the fly with Cook being out of the fold. I do think that they're going to take it to a Southeast Louisiana team that just can't match up with the athleticism. So I just set my line at 15. I'm going to be one to lay it. I think that things get cranked up tempo a little bit more against a Southeast Louisiana team that is well outside the top 200 in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis. So set my total 147 here at the 145 and a half. Looking over and one to lay up to 14 and a half with LSU. And that'll wrap things up for the Friday edition of Cuts Cuts Soups. Now part of the Visa Family Podcast. If you do like hearing from this fine podcast, Cuts Cuts Soups, you're able to subscribe wherever your podcast. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you have a question, comment, segment idea, what I have you for this podcast, do have one of two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter slash X timeline at gnet underscore e1. Keep in mind, learners, they mean doesn't matter, so as per usual, please send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, terrible fire, whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. And I'm coming at you guys every single day on this podcast. Big thanks to Blake Lovell for joining me in segment number two as well. But coming at you guys every single day on this podcast, which means I'll be back with you once again tomorrow. Thank you. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.